welcome to the 128th episode of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on April 22nd, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I am also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you doing, Corey? Brad, to be completely honest with you, I am pretty hungry. I got home from work today, and I was, like, starving to death. And last week, um, listeners don't know this, but last week, literally, literally, right before we started recording the show, like, sat down, was talking to you, we had not hit record on Audacity yet, I discovered the alarming fact that I had overdrawn my checking account right in that moment, but we made it through the show. I got it together and I, I was okay and I'm hungry and I'm going to, I swear I'm going to make a point here. I'm hungry and now I'm like deathly afraid of eating out because my big thing last for the last couple of weeks was that I like got fast food a bunch of times and I don't know if you know this or not, Brad, but whenever you eat out a lot, that starts to add up. And then sometimes you overdraw on your checking account and you're in deep shit. And so today I was like, man, I'm really hungry, but I don't want to get food on the way home because then I'm going to be poor again, even though I know I'm not because I just got paid. Um, so I did what any reasonable adult would do. And I got home from work today and I just ate some ice cream that was in the freezer. <laughs> The only possible answer. Yes, the only way to remedy the situation. There was ice cream. I was hungry. So I ate some of it, and now I'm feeling better. Uh, I guess my only question is, what kind of ice cream was it? Uh, it was um, Reese's, like Reese's peanut butter cup, but it's like actually like Reese's brand peanut butter. Uh, like It's like chocolate ice cream with like, swirls of Reese's peanut butter and like pieces of broken up Reese's peanut butter cups in it. So basically the healthiest option I could find at the grocery store and it tastes every bit of it. I mean, that sounds perfectly lovely. I do like me a good uh, peanut butter ice cream or a good peanut butter treat. So I'm, I'm definitely a peanut fan. Uh, I mean, that sounds really good, but I guess the question is then what do you do for dinner? If that was your lunch, what's next? A cupcakes or a cheesecake or what? <laughs> Well, yesterday, Patrick and I had grand plans to run some errands. We went to a parade yesterday because there's a parade pretty much every 30 minutes ever in New Orleans for any given thing ever. Yesterday's occasion, it was Easter yesterday, and I know I've talked about this on the show before, but it's been a while. Um, in New Orleans, there is a gay Easter parade. There's like a not gay Easter parade like earlier in the day and then there is a gay Easter parade in the afternoon and so we went to the parade yesterday the gay one because we don't go to those straight people parades we went to the gay one and we had like these plans to like run to Target and pick up some stuff and then go to Trader Joe's and pick up some groceries um and then come home and then our dumb asses it was like 6 30 and we went out to dinner last night after the parade and we're like trying to decide what all we, we want to do before we go home. And Patrick's like, oh, I should probably check and see if Trader Joe's is open. I don't know what time they close on Sundays. And of course they were closed because it was Easter. Of course they were. And I was like, 
I had thought of there's three targets in town and I like looked up the one that I thought we were closest to on Google Maps to see like if we were as close as I thought we were. And of course, Target was closed. Why did we pick Easter Sunday (laughs) to do our fucking errands? We're stupid. So tonight, I think we might go and do our Trader Joe's errand running tonight, which means I will probably be eating a bag of vegetable fried rice and some tempura cauliflower for dinner, which is amazing. And if anybody's listening and just rolled their eyes or threw up in their mouth a little bit when I said tempura cauliflower... It's amazing. So shut up and go to your local Trader Joe's and buy some and try it. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing about the tempura cauliflower. I have had it, not at Trader Joe's, but I've had it before. And I generally think cauliflower is disgusting, but it is good when you put breading on it and fry it, as would pretty <laughs> Most much <things>. anything be. <laughs> I mean, a dirt clod, a dead mouse, anything would be good with breading and, and being fried. So. Uh, I look forward to hearing more about that. But these people are not here to talk about our food habits. They're not here to hear about trader joe's or easter shopping although i do want to ask you about the difference between a straight easter parade and a gay easter parade but hold on to that let's not talk about that now because that's going to be a big out of sidetrack save that for after the show because i do want to hear about that uh no we've actually just got done with it like an hour plus of banter um so if you're listening this far and you're wondering when the fuck are we going to get to the games i promise we're going to get to them right now but if you want more uh not necessarily trader joe's but we just talk about tv and music and and robot arms robot arms um if you want to hear about some of that stuff uh stay tuned after the closing music and you'll get like at least an hour's worth of extra content there so uh there's more goodies in store um so let's get to it let's get to what you came for the games chat and before we actually do that i do want to address the game giveaway um we are ongoing we're going to be doing a game giveaway once per episode it's just going to be going for the foreseeable future until i run out of game codes and I got a pile of game codes. It's going to be a while before I run out of games. So um, I'll talk more about this at the, end of the, at the end of the episode. But for right now, I do want to announce last week's winners. We have two winners last week. And those winners are Jessica Entwistle and Mustafa Devar, who writes to us all the way from Iran. Wow. Thank you very much for listening to us all the way over there. And thank you both for entering. You both are going to be getting an email from me very soon. I will ask you what platforms you would like, and then I will send you a couple of games as my an hour way of saying thank you for listening and thanks for entering the contest. So look uh, to your email box very soon. Um, again, we will be giving away more games, but that's going to be at the end of the show. Right now, we're going to get into talking about games. Corey, The Division 2. We talked about it a couple times. We went into like... I don't know, like an hour-long rant about everything that was wrong with it and why we thought it was boring and why it sucked. (laughs) Uh, But we keep playing this game. This is like the most boring game that we keep playing and can't stop playing. Uh, We finally, after uh, Jupiter was in ascendance and Mars was in the right house, the stars aligned and we found some time to play together. You, me, and the wife uh, played last night, got some Division 2 in. And I got to be honest with you, we played for two hours and it felt like the blink of an eye. We sat down and before I knew it, it was like 10 p.m. and I had no idea where the time went to. So we played some Division 2. I have some thoughts. I'm sure you have some thoughts. I want you to lead off if you would be so kind. Let's check back in with the Division 2, sir. I would love to. So, okay, so I just want to start off by saying the thing that I did not expect to like so much in the Division 2 that I'm liking, and I don't recall this being something that I liked as much in the first one. And I'm kind of at odds with the first one about this, because in The Division 1, 
It takes place in New York, and it's largely cold, snowy sometimes, kind of wintry, damp. Um, and I liked that. I thought that was a great setting. Usually, I roll my eyes whenever games takes whenever games take place in like New York or San Francisco or LA, because like you know I'm from the Midwest and I think it's really annoying whenever people like just think that New York and California are the only things that exist in the United States. And I hate like East Coast, West Coast, and you know, the New York collection of this and the LA collection of that or whatever. It just like, it's something that really annoys me because there's so much more going on in the United States than fucking New York and California. But I did really like the New York setting, the division, because it felt, um, it just felt, I don't know, kind of raw and kind of cold and kind of miserable, which like really went in keeping with the game. And the division two, takes place in Washington, DC, which I'm not really familiar with at all, so I didn't really have any expectations about what it would be like. But something that differentiates the Division Two with the Division One is that in the outdoor areas of the Division Two, which is most of it, because it's like open world um, in the streets, um, it's kind of springy. It's kind of I Am Legendy. It's kind of like moss and trees have overgrown some of the world. Um, it's often rainy, which I actually like a lot. Um, but given the two, I actually think I prefer kind of the cold, damp New York setting to the Washington, D.C. setting, which, and I said a minute ago that this is why it's at odds with everything. Something that I unexpectedly love about The Division 2 that I didn't think I was going to love, that I didn't think I was going to find interesting at all, is that uh, among the game being basically just to go to this room, shoot these people go to the next room, shoot these people, rinse and repeat for like 20 hours. I'm often incredibly impressed with the level design of the main story missions because the main story missions kind of funnel you into a dungeon-like area and most of them are indoors where you go in like a hotel or you go in a parking garage or you go in a fucking, like, NASA building, and, like, you're fighting through these areas, and those are generally, like, mission-specific areas where you go in one side, you go through the mission through the building or buildings or whatever, and then you come out the other side, and then you don't necessarily, like, revisit that building or that space until you do, unless you want to do the mission again or, you know, replay it or whatever. But there have been a number of missions in The Division 2 that I'm, like just from like a visual and like level layout perspective, I'm incredibly impressed with. And usually it's for like the kind of shit that only I would find really nerdy about video games where like Brad and Gina and I walk into a room. There was one level that was in a TV station that I thought was incredibly cool where we were like walking up sort of like these back alley, not back alleys, but like the backstage kind of news area. And we like go up these stairs onto this kind of balcony area that's like behind the scenes. And there's like this wall of like TVs and computer monitors. And, you know, it wasn't just a wall on the wall of TVs. Like the wall of TVs like went up to the ceiling and then like curved over onto the ceiling. And like some of the TVs were obviously doing like the salt and pepper static things. Some of them had like, you know, the bars of color on it. And some of them had like news stations kind of playing on them. And it's just like little touches like that where like, yeah, there might be, like, ten people in the corner shooting at us, but, like, we go up the stairs and I look at that wall of TVs that's arcing onto the ceiling, and I just have to take a second and just look at it, and usually, and I know, Brad, you can confirm this, 
over the mic, I sound like a dummy because we get somewhere and every time I'm like, wow, this is nice. Meanwhile, there's like 10 dudes shooting at us from the corner. And it really takes a lot for me to want to stop and look at things in in video games like this where they're mainly focused about shooting or about, you know, running, gunning through the areas or cat and mouse gameplay. And it brings me back to Deus Ex Human Revolution a little bit because that was one of the first games I remember actively doing this all the time in where there's just so many interesting design elements in the world of Deus Ex where I just want to stop and look at stuff. I want to look at that guy's pants. I want to look at that woman's high heels. I want to look at this skyscraper and I want to look at the the design of the posters that are in this back alleyway. And it just takes a lot for the design of video games to like really make me want to stop and look at things. And I was expecting the Division 2 to just be a bland run and gun. I don't care about the environments. Oh, we're in one, you know, dilapidated hotel after another, after another, after another until the game is over with. But there's been some really incredible level design in it that I'm actually super impressed with and that makes me want to stop and look at things and appreciate the colors of what's going on and the environment of what's going on. And it was just really unexpected, but totally a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it is really specifically about the story missions. Although, I mean, I don't want to give credit where credit is due. I think that Ubisoft spends a lot of time and care and effort in their environments. Like if you just take a minute and look at, I mean, basically anything like it looks real good. Like there's a lot of details. There's a lot of thought put into certain things like where the trash is and like where the boxes are and how things are laid out and like what is in the environment. I mean, just looking around, it is actually quite good. I mean, I think that's one of Ubisoft's strengths in general as a company. They seem to really put a lot of time and effort into making the world look sharp. I mean, I I haven't played very much of, um, Gay Assassin's Creed, the one with the uh, the lesbian in Greece or whatever. I forget what it was called. Uh, Odyssey. 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 Um, I, me- I bought it. I'm going to go and play it, but I haven't played it yet. But, I mean, I heard endless people taking screenshots and, like, really, like, just being in love with the world. And, like, you know, and, and Assassin's Creed in general has always been pretty famous for having good environments. A lot of the Ubisoft stuff. So that's that's pretty clear. I agree. I mean, I think, especially last night, because we had kind of, like, had this kind of unspoken agreement that we were only going to do the story missions together so that we would all progress through the campaign together. My wife and I have been kind of doing like random side missions and discovering that a lot of that stuff just like regenerates after a while. So we end up doing like the same side missions like over and over, which is kind of a drag, but we finally found time to play and we started doing like, we did like, I think three or four story missions in a row and they were all like genuinely like really cool. Like there's like radar dishes inside some kind of weird observatory thing that was also kind of like a garden area, which was kind of cool. We went to the NASA section that you mentioned, and there's one part, um, uh, I think it was a high point for me, I'm sure it was probably a high point for you as well, where we're in like a science lab, and it's all white and sterile looking inside this lab, but then something happens and the light shifts, and it's like all like red and orange all throughout the whole room, and it just became this weird like hellscape all of a sudden that was pretty cool. Um, so definitely... The environments, I think, are good. I mean, especially the store missions, because, I mean, even though they are really good, when we're out in the world of New York, a lot of it does kind of blend together, and, like, it's all... I don't know, just, like, there's not a lot of standout moments when you're in the world, even though I think it looks good, if that makes any sense. Like, there's just not enough, like, distinct landmarks, or... I mean, I don't know how faithful it is to real-life New York, or, or D.C., I'm sorry, D.C. Um, but, yeah, those are really good. On the other hand, uh, I got to say, like, the further we get into it, 
and I've said this before, I'm going to be repeating myself, so I won't say it very much, but like, man, I just like, they fuck up the story like so bad. The story is so boring. There's literally like no, when you, when you try to figure out what the story is, all you hear is like this giant sucking sound where the story should go. And I'm like, God, how did you guys have these cool environments and have so many cool ideas? And the story just fucking blows. Like it's terrible. Story is terrible. Handling of the characters is terrible. Like your relationship as an agent to the civilians is terrible. Like, it's just like, dude, what is going on with you guys? Like, it is so like this game is so close to being like fucking amazing. Like if they keep the environments, put a few more landmarks in the world, if they actually gave you characters to interact with that you actually gave a shit about, this game would be fucking amazing. And I just like, I play it and I have a good time playing it. Like the playing, and we've said this before, like the moment to moment gameplay is really fun. Like last night, you know, we're all playing we you were like in one area i was in another area we both like see the same bad guy he's going after you i get him from the back like and you and i converge on this guy and just kind of like in the moment of flow uh, the flow of the level like we're both coming together teaming up like we kill this guy at the same time so we're kind of like assisting each other we come back my wife's on another section she's kind of holding it down we're kind of helping each other out like it's actually fun to play like from moment to moment i think it's great but like god i just like could not give a shit about like <laughs> any of the rest of it and it's such a shame because if they just bumped it up a little bit like this would be like a classic dude i could see myself getting really deep into this but i just don't care about anything other than how it feels to play you know yeah and i mean it's a good thing that it does feel good to play because if this game didn't feel good to play it would be like it'd be like a loser on all fronts except for maybe like the level design because yeah the story is just like it's just so like copied and pasted. Like you go to this base, there's the person who's like the leader, quote unquote, of the like sanctuary area. They tell you to go to this place and shoot people. And like literally every mission is like, like the exact same thing happens to every mission. You go to a building, you shoot a bunch of people, you go to the next room and shoot a bunch of people, you go to the next room and shoot a bunch of people, you go to the next room and shoot a bunch of people, then you go to the next room and you shoot a bunch of people, and then you shoot a really tough person who's the boss and then you exit the building. Like that's every single literally, mission. literally every mission. Yes, you're correct. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely a good thing that, you know, the moment to moment gameplay is really where this game shines. Like it's really fun to play. It feels good to shoot. Um, the sound design is really good for the weapons. Uh, once you really like figure out what something that I like is once you really figure out what weapon type you like. Um, and for me, because you have two main weapons and then a, a sidearm, and your sidearm is, I think, can be a pistol or, like, a little, a tiny, like, two-barrel shotgun or maybe, like, an Uzi or something. Um, I use a semi-automatic rifle. That's, like, my main gun that I use. And when I say semi-automatic, I mean it basically shoots as fast as I can pull uh, the right trigger, but it does not, it's not fully automatic where I keep, it keeps firing if you hold the right trigger. That's my main gun. My second gun is a shotgun because I'm all about the shotguns. And then I have like a pistol or something for my uh, sidearm, which I don't really use that much. But like once you figure out, because I mean, they have like three on burst guns, they have double barrel shotguns, they have clip shotguns, they have sniper rifles, they have machine guns, they have large machine guns. You know, there's a lot of different guns to pick from. And once you like figure out which gun you like or which like couple gun types you like the best and you like really settle into how you like to play the game, it really starts to shine. And I'm really glad that the level design is kind of there to like elevate it. it because I mean, the moment to moment gameplay is good enough to like, even if I were 
fighting through a hotel after another hotel after another hotel. Like, yeah, I might be like a little bit annoyed. Like last night, for example, we did a, we did this like amazing like NASA space. We weren't in space, but it was like a space center mission. And then the next mission was on like a subway. And like literally while we were playing, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like we went from this like amazing like NASA Museum Science Center into a fucking subway for the next mission. But that's, like, what I would expect of the game. Like, if that was all it was, I'd be like, well, of course we're fighting in a subway because it's a fucking Tom Clancy game, and that's, like, all you do is fight through, like, hotels and subways and subway yards and, like, the streets. But the fact that they have, like, given me this good level design in the main missions makes me, like, appreciate it, but it also kind of makes me demand more because then when I get to a mission that's in a really, like you know, kind of, like, regular, quote-unquote, area for a game, then I'm suddenly like, wow, why are we... What? Why are we here? Whenever I see what the game can do in the TV station and the science lab and the NASA center, like, why are we in a subway right now? Like, they really need to keep, you know, the stakes and the design of the mission um, crescendoing rather than kind of going up and down. Um, but I'm glad that it's crescendoing at all because that is something I honestly didn't expect from the game. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is like a really difficult thing for me because it's like when I look at it, I just think all I can see is the problems with it, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, after being a game critic for 20 years, I am hyper-focused on, like, what is wrong with a game. That's just how my brain works. I mean, in real life, but also, like, in, in games reviewing. And it's just, like, a list of shit that they're getting wrong, right? But, like, but something is not going wrong altogether because we keep playing this game. Like, when I play this game, I have fun. I want to play it again. And, like, even though you said, like, literally all we're doing is going from room to room, killing the same, like, nine guys. That's all we're doing! Like, there's... <laughs> Like, when we finally hit um, the, the NASA section and we were, like, quote-unquote, escorting this piece, which actually we didn't even have to even do anything. It was basically just, like, shoot guys while this piece of background scenery moves in the background. <laughs> I was like, oh, yay, something cool, something different's happening. All right, it's awesome. But, like, I mean, even though that's literally all we're doing is shooting the same nine guys in room after room, something about it is really fun and something about it keeps me coming back. But, like, I don't like the UI. Like, I don't like the systems. I don't like the upgrade systems. I don't like the story. I don't like... There's, like, so much of this game that I fucking just don't like that I think just straight up sucks. And yet, we keep playing it. And I keep enjoying it. And I... It is, like, breaking my brain, like, how... Like, I don't understand what it is about this because I'm not usually the loot and shoot guy. I'm not, like, the Diablo guy who can play, like, Diablo for three seasons in a row because I just want better loot. Like, that doesn't usually attract me. And I'm not really drawn in by getting better guns. Like, if something feels better, cool... But I'm not, like, lusting after a specific gun or I don't, you know, I don't usually, like, play gun porn games where, like, the gun is the whole focus. Like, I just, whatever, it's like a tool or, you know, a means of, you know, interacting with the world. But it's not something that really gets me. But I just can't put my finger on why I think this game is so fun to play despite the fact that, like, so many things are, like, bad about it. Yeah, this game's really, like, it's an anomaly. And it just makes me wish, and we, we both have probably said this before, but it makes me wish that, like, if, you know, I doubt anybody at Ubisoft would ever be listening to the show, and they've probably already heard this criticism a million times, like everything we've talked about, but it's just like, if they really put the time and the focus more to like fix the things that we have complaints about or like make them better, rather than just make a copy-pasted sequel in a new city, because like, I don't want to sound super rude about it, but that's like literally what it is. This game does not feel any different from the Division 1. There's not like new systems, there's not... You know, there's some new skills, but, like, it feels exactly the same as the first Division. Like, if they had 
taken this experience that is somehow mediocre and magical at the same time and like really put effort into the things that we have complaints about, then I mean, this would be like a nine out of 10 for me probably. But the fact that they just like have taken the existing game, put it in a new city and have not really like fixed anything from the old game or like made an effort to like make the story better or characterize people more or have different mission types, you know, rather than just shooting a bunch of people in a row. Like it just, I don't know, it makes me wish that they would do that. And I mean, hopefully I'm sure they're going to make another one. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that in the division three, that they will start to address those things. Like it only makes sense that they would because they can only, I mean, I guess Ubisoft is guilty as charged of putting out, a very similar game over and over and over again, um, cough, cough, Assassin's Creed, cough, cough. But like they would do so much better to really address the things that are just like mediocre about the game and try to like really elevate it rather than just put the same thing out over and over and over again, because that will only get them so far, especially with us, but with the general public too. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, that exact reason is why I ended up picking up a copy of Assassin's Creed Odyssey because I was thoroughly done with Assassin's Creed. I mean, I started playing it at the beginning when it first came out. I remember before the first one ever hit and all the hype and the excitement around it and, you know, all that stuff. But it's been going on forever. There's like a jillion in the Assassin's Creed series. And I'm over it, dude. I am so over it. Like, I just couldn't give a fuck about that. But when they talked about spending more time with the main character, specifically the female character, and that the fact that you could be queer or you could be straight, and that 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 was going to be much more of the focus. That was enough to make me think, well, okay, cool. I know that Ubisoft nails these other aspects of a game. I know they do beautiful worlds and I know they give you tons of content and I know that they have lots of systems that you can engage with if you like the systems. Um, but none of that was enough for me. But when they said that they were going to finally focus on character, that was really the turning point. So I don't know if they actually succeeded at that, but it was enough for me to pony up a couple bucks. I mean, I bought the game, which is more than I can say for the last 19 Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> Um, and I wish they would, like you said, I wish they would do the same with the division. I wish that, I mean, I understand they have to kind of keep it going. It's kind of like a game of the service thing. It's kind of like an infinite game where they want you to keep coming back every Friday with your buddies and grind. I get that, but you could put in a good campaign. You could put in people with personality. Like, you know, like in destiny, I haven't played destiny in a long time, but I heard a lot of my friends saying, Oh, I like this character or this character or this person's at the store or like, you know, there's a little bit to connect to. Like there's a bit more personality to it. And I feel like that is really the division's biggest problem right now is like there is just nothing to connect to other than the gameplay, which I mean, like we've said, is actually pretty good. So good for them. That's something we can connect to. But like, I just I, I want more than that. And I feel like this game can be so much better than it is. Um, so it's a little bit frustrating. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts or should we move on? Um, oh, the last thing I want to say about this, and I cannot believe I didn't say it the first time, is that one of the first major characters you meet in the game is the sort of, like, head of this hotel area. How Take a shot every time I've said the word hotel, if you listen to the podcast. Hotel, I know, right? Um, Seriously. <laughs> uh, she's one of the head, she's like the head person at, like, a hotel sanctuary that you go to, like, a home base area. Her name, I wish I were kidding when I say this, her name keep in mind she's like the second important character you meet in the game her character's name is odessa sawyer can we talk about this for a second that's like naming a person steel gravel or like fucking i don't even know napalm justice or something odessa sawyer it's like they put like 
I don't know, like stereotypical, ridiculous, like names into a hat and they just pulled two of them out and they were like, all right, Odessa Sawyer, here we go. And like nobody on the writing team thought that name sounded ridiculous. I mean, I guess not. I mean, I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be a callback to something like, you know, she's like African-American in the game. And, you know, obviously there's themes of like, uh, you know, politics and freedom and all these other things that kind of come into it. Not not really overtly because the division doesn't really the, 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 the development team made kind of a big effort of saying, oh, we're kind of apolitical. We don't have a, a mission statement or anything. We're just making a game. Uh, whether that's true or not. But I was like, God, is it some kind of callback? Or like, is it some kind of like, um, you know, Civil War sort of mention or something? Like, I wasn't sure if there was like a historical angle to that. I'm, I'm not sure. I hope there is. And if you're listening and I'm the biggest fucking dumbass on the planet for getting this wrong and it is some kind of like big callback to something, please let me know so I can feel like less of a jerk or less of an idiot about this. I just feel like her name is so stereotypically silly that I just could not believe that it's like Odessa Sawyer. Like it's just such a ridiculous sounding name to me, but hopefully I'm wrong and it actually does like call back to something and it has some importance. It just sounds incredibly silly to me. Well, I don't have the answer to that. Hopefully somebody listening can let us know if they're if they're if they're kind of name checking something that we're not aware of. I mean, maybe that was like a, an important figure in the Civil War or something. I'm not a history buff, so I can't say. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, I'm sure that we will bring up the division again. I mean, you're still working on the review and we're going to try to get together multiple times. And we still have it seems like still quite a bit of game to go. So I'm sure we will uh, touch on this at some point in the future. But for now, let's move on. Um Corey, last week you talked about Left Alive, which was kind of the semi-catastrophic Metal Gear Solid wannabe that came from Square Enix. We didn't have a lot of good to say about it. But ironically, after we wrapped the show, uh, I had come across a message on Twitter saying that the developers had heard a lot of the criticisms and that they had addressed some of the things that people were finding very distasteful about that game. So you, I forwarded that to you and you were like, aha, let me give this one more shot before I send it back to Gamefly. Did you, in fact, do that, and is the game any better after these uh, fixes and patches? I did try it again, and for the record, it was literally, like, the day we recorded the last show. It was, like, the next day you sent me this thing, and I was like, oh, man, it's a good thing I didn't put it in the mail yet because I was going to. Um, I did play it again. So one of the big things that they patched in is they actually patched in a an even easier game mode, which is kind of hilarious to me because they had, they already had four difficulty settings. They had like really hard, hard, normal, and easy. Those aren't the names of them, but that was like, that's what they mean. So they patched in an even easier mode, which like, I don't know. I feel like if you need five difficulty settings, like maybe, I don't know, re-examine the way your game works. Um, <laughs> so because I was only like a half an hour in, I decided to just start the game over completely. I don't know if you can switch the difficulty level mid-game. I don't think you can. So I just went ahead and started all the way over. I started on the easiest difficulty level um, because I knew what I was doing out at the gate this time. Um, I did not get shot down to 20% health at the very, you know, starting 10 seconds of the game this time. I was able to run away from those enemies and get into the alleyway before they opened fire. And I am proud to announce that I did make it farther than I did the last time. I was able to get through the sewer system is where I perished last time. And I did use the Molotov cocktail again, and it actually worked this time. And I was able to get through that area. 
And something else that they patched in, and I don't know if they only patched this into the easiest mode or if it's like a thing in the game again, is I remember specifically um, talking at length last time about how the game gives you melee weapons, but it doesn't give you like an instant melee stealth kill option. You basically just like have to bludgeon people from the back of their head until they die. And this, the patch actually patches in. It's not a stealth kill option. Like it's not a contextual stealth kill, but every enemy that I approached, um, from behind whenever they were on like a they were standing there they were on some kind of route if i hit them once with the steel pipe they would die immediately so that was like kind of a nice thing um not having to because the weapons break so not having to weaken the weapon with three hits per stealth kill and also something else i noticed is that i don't know exactly what the um what like the threshold for dying is in the most casual game mode but i got shot like a decent handful of times and my health went down maybe like five percent over the course that i was playing so i don't think the casual mode makes you invincible but i will say that i got shot several times and my health like barely went down at all so that's like already looking pretty good for me um I didn't realize it at the time, but because I didn't make it this far, but the game actually does like, I think it does like a dual chapter thing where it has two lead characters. You play as the male character for the first chapter. And then I got to the second chapter and you take over as a female character. And she's like a cop who used to be ex-military. And she is like sort of going into this, <clears throat> to like a city area and it kind of still employs the same kind of stealth thing and there's like hot zones and cool zones of the city. And I think her story focuses a little bit more on um, like escorting survivors to like safe zones. And I haven't actually played, I've only played about 20 minutes of her opening mission. So I haven't actually like really, you know, like dig deep into her stuff. Um, but I did make it that far, so that's good news. I have not died. I, I kind of have more of a grasp on, like, the game's systems, and the fact that it's easier is making the game a little bit better. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I have to say that even though it's easier and it's less frustrating and I can kill things in one hit for stealth kills and I'm getting shot a handful of times and I'm not dying, um, the game still just feels, like, okay. Like, you know, it being easier I don't think is enough to, like, elevate it into any type of greatness or any type of something that I feel like I've played before because it's one of those games that like it feels so similar to something like and I said this last week to something like Metal Gear or like Siphon Filter that whenever I'm playing it it just makes me want to go play those games because they're better and I'm already familiar with them and I already know how they work and it's like why would I play like the off brand of something that's newer just because it's new whenever I already know that something better exists prior to it it just makes me want to go back and play those things so i do think that left alive is significantly better i mean unless you're somebody who's like you know wants to do all the challenges and wants it to be hard and realistic and whatever then i mean hey maybe this is good for you but if you're someone like me who started the game on the easiest difficulty level and still got shot to death in like five seconds um the even easier difficulty level which is called casual i believe um is pretty great because you you get more ammo you can get shot more and you don't die as easily. The enemies I think are weaker and less alert. Um, so it can definitely like make the game a lot easier to play, but I still, I'm just not convinced that it being easier makes it 
any better. It makes it less frustrating, but I don't think it really makes the game itself any better. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, uh, it's interesting that they did that. And I think, I mean, I think that's good. I mean, more options are always better. And I mean, I can certainly remember many games where they were not good, but they were easy enough to play that they didn't really resist too much. And so I could kind of just roll through them and finish them. Whereas if there had been too much difficulty, they were already kind of a bad game. So I wouldn't have put up with the difficulty and it being a bad game. So maybe people will get through it. But I mean, one question, I mean, I haven't heard you mention this, so I'm assuming you haven't gotten there, but since this game is set in the front mission universe and front mission is, is known for being about mech suits and robots and stuff. I do know for a fact that at some point in this game, you do either steal a mech suit or you commandeer a mech suit or you get one somehow. And then it, and then it is, as if you are inside Metal Gear controlling that thing around. Did you ever get to those parts at all? Um, at the end of the very first mission, there is a section where there is a mech that's broken down and you get into the cockpit and you shoot. It's like machine gun and it's shoulder missiles and stuff. Because the mech is broken down, you don't actually move it around, but it's kind of like a fun, like overpowered turret section where you're shooting waves of enemies and like tanks and stuff. So I've done that, but I have not gotten to a part where you're actually fully piloting like a mobile mech on the ground. Okay, I was just wondering if that part, if you had gotten to it, like would that part be interesting? I mean, I think it's probably, probably they're relying on the front mission hook to kind of differentiate itself even more from Metal Gear because, I mean, I think you can have like little robot buddies or something or little like gun turrets and stuff when I played um, Metal Gear Survive and I think I saw something like that in Metal Gear Solid Five, but not a, I mean, as far as I know, you never really took control of like a big on full, I mean, there was like one battle where you're like control Metal Gear, right? Like, was that, uh, was that Metal Gear? Yeah, th- whatever. Anyway, I think maybe one point in the whole series, but it's not a mech series, whereas this one is primarily a mech series. So I was just wondering if that part might have saved it for you or if it was interesting or good. But if you haven't gotten there yet, I guess you don't know the answer. It's true. All right. All right. Well, there is our Left Alive update. Seems like it's not good enough for you to continue is, is my guess. Um, yeah, that's probably... I haven't mailed it back to Gamefly yet, but I need to. Um, but I don't really anticipate playing this anymore. Okay, that's kind of what it, it sounded like, so no big deal. Um, let's move on real quick. Let me take over for a minute here. Just a quick update on Sekiro, Sekiro, however you want to pronounce that. Talked about it last episode. The new third-person action game from FromSoft, makers of Dark Souls. Everybody knows this already. Um, Putting more time into it, I'm probably maybe... I've got to be at least 15 hours into it by now, at least, if not more. And I just wanted to give a quick update. Um, Everything I said last week still stands. Um, I still think the ninja parts are really interesting and fun. I like the grappling hook is good. Um, And I think that just exploring and backstabbing guys is really solid, and I enjoy that part. Uh, but I got to a couple bosses where it was just really frustrating. And I've talked to a number of people since getting frustrated. I was kind of asking for tips and seeing how people got through it and so forth and so on. And I'm just really convinced. I mean, I said this last episode, but I am even, I am like, like double convinced that it's all just about reaction times. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, William. Hey, William, if you're listening, hello, hello. And he was saying that his son... Uh, had finished the entire game and his son was like 11. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I mean, this is, I mean, FromSoft is famous for having difficult games, you know? Uh, And if an 11 year old can whip through this, 
I mean, 11-year-olds have really fucking fast reflexes, dude. Have you ever tried to play a first-person shooter with an 11-year-old? They kick your ass. Like, they're faster than you. Just straight up faster. Biologically faster, you know? Um, same thing with some other people that I talked to who I am older than all of them. It seemed like people who were, like, like dudes in their 20s that I know had no problem or at least were, were able to manage it and weren't really complaining about it too much. And people like me who are in their 40s or maybe who had... Uh, uh, other issues going on, just really tired all the time or don't have a lot of time to practice or whatever. We're having a lot of difficulty with it because a lot of these bosses just kind of boil down to being really rapid-fire QTEs or like, uh, as Gene Park, uh, friend Gene Park, said on Twitter, they're kind of like rock, paper, scissors bosses and if you're not fast enough with your reaction times, you can't see if they're throwing a rock, a paper, or scissors and so it kind of just comes down to luck of the draw which is not a good way to fight a boss. So... I don't know what I'm going to do. I FromSoft just put out a balance patch. Everybody was like, oh, balance patch. Oh, what happened? You know, because of all the discourse that's going on. The discourse in capital letters. <laughs> um, and I looked it over. It didn't really seem to me like anything that would really address the problems that anybody had. It was like, oh, this one enemy drops this item more frequently and this other item poisons like one percent faster i mean it seemed like really like really minor stuff like none of it was really like now there's an easy mode or anything like that so i don't know i mean i'm still playing it and i don't want to say that i'm like hate playing it like i don't think it's a hate play not yet anyway but it's definitely kind of keeping me at a distance i don't feel as committed to it as i have felt with previous souls games and i'm not enjoying it as much as previous souls games because it's just i just like I have fun and then I get to a boss and then I just stop having fun. And it's kind of like this really hot and cold experience. So I'm still making my way through it. I still kind of am enjoying it. I wish I had faster reflexes or I wish that they would just fucking slow things down and chill out a little bit to let more people get into this game. Um, I'm not writing it off, but I'm not celebrating it either. It's not on my top 10. I have no illusions that it will be on my top 10. No way. Um, but hopefully I'll be able to finish it. I want to at least finish it. If, if I don't, this will be the first FromSoft game in like many years that I haven't finished, which will be a weird thing for me because I've been a fan of theirs for a long time. But we shall see. So not really much of an update. I'm still putting time into it. And it seems like this is going to be a pretty long game, um, especially with how slow I'm going. So I'll, I will definitely not talk about it every single episode. But uh, I just had to talk about something. And that's what I put a lot of time into this week. So there is my update on Sekiro, Sekiro, whatever. Um, thoughts, feelings, ideas, Corey? Um, I, last week I had a galactic turnaround on thinking that I never, ever wanted to play this game. And then we talked a little bit more about it. And then I decided that, Hey, maybe I do want to play this game. And like the stuff that you're saying right now is basically the reasons why I don't think I would like this game. Like I'm definitely still like <laughs> pretty interested. Like I will game fight and I will give it a shot. Um, but just, like, knowing what you say about, like, you know, the game itself and, like, I trust your judgment on it and you're definitely more in tune with, like, these kinds of games and with From Software than I am. Um, I just, like, I I just feel like I'm not going to like this. But I will, tr I mean, I'll, oh, woe is me. I'll take one for the team and try this game that I rent for a week or something. But I, I just, like, feel like I'm not going to like it. But I'm still committed to trying a week ago i was not committed to trying at all but then i came out of the show committed and then you come back to the show this week and you say a bunch of mean things about it but i'm still committed to trying yeah i don't know if it's going to be your jam but i mean you really liking ninja gaiden was really kind of a like kind of out of left field you know like i wouldn't normally say that was your kind of game 
considering that we usually talk about like you know emotional games or walking sims and stuff like that horror games um so that it was kind of weird to me that you liked ninja gaiden i I didn't see that coming um so i think there may be some shared dna like we mentioned yes like last week but it's like i mean just try it just try it and see what you think i think that there will be probably parts of it that you like but there's a lot of stuff that i think is just really kind of just off base about it and the more i play this game the more i look at it uh i just i mean i think the bottom line is that the developers have set very arbitrary goalposts about how well they think you need to be performing in terms of attacking countering and dodging and in previous games they would give you ways to mitigate that i mean i've said that before like you could get better armor you could get stronger swords you could get more different life items you could be a different build you could call a friend in like there was all these different options you had as a player to help get you through the parts that were tough for you but a lot of those are not here and i feel like they just have set those goalposts really high just for reasons like i don't see any reason why it needs to be this fast or this hard uh i think it's just kind of just because just get good you know and i don't think that's a good philosophy for designing a game i don't think it's it's a good way to put a game out there i mean you know no one's forcing them to do anything but i genuinely think that they would do better and they would get a lot more positive press if they would just like put in an option that slowed everybody down by 2.5 milliseconds like i think it would help a lot so i'm not a big fan of the whole arbitrary um dick measuring where you either make the cut or you don't and that's kind of where i feel like this game lands i'm not a fan of that but give it a shot like i said if you can play ninja gaiden this game is not as hard as ninja gaiden i think that is harder and worse um so you may like it you may not but at least you can say you gave it a shot yes i mean that's all we can ever do in life is give it a shot very true but speaking of ninjas and specifically speaking of ninja gaiden you went back to it after our discussion last week what is going on (laughs) so first of all tell us number one what system exactly which version of ninja gaiden were you playing and, I mean, it must have been because we talked about it. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of that made you go back to that game out of nowhere. So tell us all about it, Corey. Okay, well, it's partially because we talked about it. Um, I noticed that on the Twitters, I saw... I don't remember if it was Xbox or if it was Major Nelson or if it was whoever posting about it, but um, they made Ninja Gaiden 2 which was an Xbox 360 game, backwards compatible on the Xbox One. And something that I always do, I don't know why I do this, every time a game that I own, because I own the second one, becomes backwards compatible on the Xbox One from the Xbox 360, I will like put it in and I will install it and I will play some of it as if I think playing an Xbox 360 game on the Xbox One is going to, like, radically change it in any way. And the same thing happens every single time. I put the game in, I install it, I pick up the controller, I turn it on, I play about a half an hour of the game, and I say, yeah, this is exactly the way that I remember it, and I played enough. It's not magically different in any way, so I'll just turn it off now. And that's like, I do this with so many games. I don't know. I mean, at least like on on the flip side, um, the Xbox One X, which is like the newer, faster, better, like 4K capable um, Xbox, some uh, Xbox 360 backwards compatible games 
have been like super 4K upresed on the Xbox One X, which is something I'm actually pretty interested in because to be frank, um, games being prettier is a reason for me to play them. Like, I'm not going to lie about that. Um, that's why sometimes I'll play games on PC that I have played on P on a console before because they generally look better on PC or at least on my PC. Um, and I, but the shitty thing is that I don't own an Xbox one X. I have a launch era Xbox one, which I mean, you know, is all well and good, but I do have a 4k TV now and I do have a PlayStation pro so I could take uh, advantage of all the 4k. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, that was lacrosse burp. Um, all of the 4k, stuff on the PlayStation 4 Pro, but I can't, like, I don't get any extra, like, capabilities of games on the Xbox One with the 4K TV because they only do that stuff on the Xbox One X, which is a little bit sad, but, I mean, here we are. I'm not going to buy an Xbox One X, so just to play Splinter Cell Blacklist in 4K, I'm not really concerned about that, so... Um, but I did, kind of around the same time we were talking about uh, Sekiro and Ninja Gaiden last week... Um, they announced that uh, the second one was uh, backwards compatible on the Xbox One now. So I did the same thing I always do. I put it in, I installed, I played it. But it was just kind of timely in the fact that we've been talking about it. And I played, I think, about three missions, uh, the three opening missions. And, I mean, like, I feel like I don't really have a lot to say. I mean, it still feels as good as I remember it feeling... It's incredibly silly. I don't know if I said this last time. I don't know if people already know this. The Ninja Gaiden games are so silly like literally the first thing that happens in the second one is um i can't even remember her name right now i think it's rachel no i think rachel is the demon hunter there's a woman sonia i don't know what her name is she's like in one of the shops that you shop at how how much more <laughs> dumb can i make the story she's like in there's like an old guy who runs these shops and it's kind of like an upgrade center in the game and she's like in one of his shops in like Tokyo or something and like asking the shop owner about where Ryu Hayabusa is and Ryu is the main character. And she, it's just like such like a stereotypical, like silly Japanese depiction of like a white woman. Cause she's like this white girl. She allegedly works for the CIA. She's wearing like, like basically like a leather S and M outfit. It's like a leather leotard, her breasts are like double H's. And of course they're perfectly round with no sag in sight. They're perky and held up. They're in this like ridiculous leather outfit that's like unzipped almost down to her belly button. It's just like, I like, is, is that standard CIA issue uniform? I find that hard to believe, but it's basically just like big titty ninja action. And it's just like incredibly silly. But obviously I don't come to Ninja Gaiden for the stories because they're dumb. They're about ninjas and demons taking over the earth and you have to cut all their heads off and win. And that's the end of the game. But the game basically feels as good as I remember it. It's, it's quick, it's fast, um, it's hard, but not super hard yet. I know it'll get harder later, but um, I just feel like I can keep up with it in a way something that I really like about Ninja Gaiden 2, that the first one, Slash Black, which was kind of like a remake of the first one on Xbox, kind of lacked, is that there's a big variation in weapons in the second one, but you have to kind of collect them over the course of the game, because you start with your Dragon Sword, and then in the middle of the first mission, you get the Lunar Staff, and then you get, like, double Dragon Swords, and then you get, like, 
um, the big scythe that's kind of like your slow, heavy weapon. Um, you get like the claws after a while where you have like two claws on your hands and two claws on your feet. There are like talons that you can fight with. And I just really like the variation of weapons and it gets better as you get later in the game because you get more and you can like pretty much switch like more or less on the fly of what you're using. And I just appreciate like the different weapon types and being able to use them. It's a lot better than being stuck with like one or two swords over the course of the game. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like it. I'm probably not going to continue playing it because I've been there and I've done that. And like I said, I do this every time an Xbox game becomes backwards compatible. I put it in, I play it for maybe a half an hour to an hour and then I stop. Um, and this is pretty much no exception. I mean, it looks good on my 4K TV, but like I said, I don't have an Xbox One X, so it's not like up in any way that I can tell. I think it still looks pretty much the same as it did on the Xbox 360. Um, that being said, it looks good. Like the Ninja Gaiden games have always been incredible, incredibly well done to me, like graphically. Um, but yeah, I like it. It's still fast. It's still furious. I don't really know what else to say. I'm enjoying it, but I've already played all of it, so I probably will not finish it. But it's nice to know that it's there and that it's backwards compatible if I ever want to play it again. Fair enough. Fair enough. Good to know that it is backward compatible. Although I will, I have no love of Ninja Gaiden, and I will probably never touch this again. I, it is good to know that you can go back and play some stuff that you have already purchased, or that you know, just backwards compatibility in general is a pretty cool thing. Even if you don't use it all the time, even if it's not always something that you spend a lot of time on, I think that it's nice. It's nice just for for many reasons. You know, you can revisit an old favorite. You can try something you've heard about but never had a chance to try. You keep old software alive in terms of like building up a library or for research or for archival purposes. So I definitely support the backwards compatibility. I'm down with that for sure, even if I am not down with Team Ninja. So anyway, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Um, now you've also, I have one more game to talk about really briefly, but before we do that, you've been revisiting another game that you had dabbled in in the past. We are really living up to the whole uh, something old, something new, something anything in between or whatever it is our catchphrase is. I can't remember right now, but uh yeah man you're you're going back to resident evil 7 which we talked about a while ago we've you've already played through it i know you were a fan um what made you get back into that where did you uh dig that out of i you know i don't even know i just had like a long weekend and i had a three-day weekend and i i was convinced there's like once a year that i replay silent hill 2 and i thought this is going to be the weekend that i was doing it because i or the weekend that i was going to do it because i didn't really have any like plans and i thought oh i could probably like knock this out in a couple of sittings because every once in a while you just like have i don't know just like those moments where you have that like one old game that you play like once a year and um i don't know i guess i kind of played uh resident evil 7 like in lieu of silent hill 2 a little bit i'm not comparing the two they're both horror games but silent hill 2 is way better um than resident evil 7 but i just kind of remembered that i had it and remembered that i had the um there's a uh a DLC where you play as Chris Redfield called Not a Hero that came out about maybe six months after the game came out. And I've already played it before. I've actually talked about it on the show before. I think it's a very good DLC. Um, but the thing that I really like about DLC, like episodic chapters for video games, is that you can get like the full flavor of the video game, but just like condensed down into a shorter version of it. Um, and I didn't play all of the Not A Hero DLC. I played a little bit of the main campaign and then I played a little bit of the Not A Hero DLC and I might finish it. But it was just like one of those weird things where I was just kind of bored over the weekend. I didn't really want to start anything new. I kind of wanted to play, just kind of dabble in some old stuff. And so I played 
Ninja Gaiden 2 a little bit. I played Resident Evil 7 a little bit. Um, I also played, which will come as a surprise to nobody, um, Deus Ex Human Revolution on the PC a little bit, which I told Brad that I played, and he very rudely left it off of the script because he doesn't want to hear me talk about it for the 600th time. <laughs> and you worked <laughs> it in anyway. You brought it up anyway. You got it in. <laughs> yeah, so um, I so it was just a weird weekend. It was a long weekend. I felt like playing some old games. I have absolutely nothing new or captivating to say about Resident Evil 7 other than... I think it's very good. I still think the story is awful. I know that, like, I feel like I'm in the minority of this game where, like, when it came out, everybody was, like, talking about how amazing the story was and how it was a real different direction for the series, which that's true. Like, this game is unlike any other game in the Resident Evil series because it's not really, like, a zombies in a mansion game. It's not, like, a zombies taking over the city. It's not even a zombie game. Like, there are no zombies to be detected in this game. Um, but the story is just dumb. Like, I, I don't want to, like, rehash all of it. I've talked about it on the show probably more than once. I've written a big old second opinion review on Game Critics. If you're new to the show and you're wondering why I think the game's story is garbage, uh, please just look it up on Game Critics. I wrote a big thing about it. I just think the story is really stupid. I mean, like, one of the first things that happens in the game is the main character gets his hand sawn off with a chainsaw. And then, like... They, it gets, like, stapled back on, and, like, the people who live in this, like, family put this, like, magic, I don't know, like, juice on your hand, and it, like, makes your hand, like, go back on, but he still has the staples in it, but some, and there's still, like, a cut, but his hand still works, and if they have magic juice that makes your hand magically reattach to your body then why do you get injured over the course of the game and have to use first aid kit? It's just like, oh my God, it's like a spiraling, like nonsense. Like, ugh, I just, the story is so stupid. And like the lip syncing is really bad. I know that's a dumb thing to complain about, but like it came out in like 2017, the lip syncing for the characters is awful. And because it was a VR exclusive on PS4, it does a bunch of like hokey, in your face VR stuff that's totally ineffective. If you're not playing on VR, probably wouldn't be effective if I were on VR um, anyway, but it just like, it's just like really hokey and it's really silly. And I don't think the story was handled well at all. You have to suspend your disbelief like to the moon and back in order to, or in order for me to really appreciate the story. I just could not get on board with it. But that being said, much like The Division, oddly enough, I'm bringing this show full circle. The moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is very good. It's pretty spectacular. Um, I just cannot get invested in the story to save my life. But, yeah, again, don't have anything new or shining or no new revelations about Resident Evil, um, which is funny because Revelations is a Resident Evil brand. Um, but it's it's still good. The moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is well done, and I just wanted to dabble in it a little bit, so I played it some more. Fair enough, fair enough. I still have a copy sitting on my desk, but I have not cracked it yet because, you know me, in scary games, it takes a lot for me to get into a scary game. And I think that Resident Evil 2 may be it for me this year. That may be my one scary game for the year. I may have checked that box, but uh, we'll see. I'm curious about it. I mean, I've heard your take on it, obviously, and I've heard a lot of other people. And it seems like something I should at least try just to see like what they were doing differently. I mean, historically, I've played almost all the Resident Evil games, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the franchise, but... We shall see. We shall see. <clears throat> We've only got one more game to go before we wrap it up here. And speaking of zombies, or not zombies, I guess, uh, none, no zombies in Resident Evil 7, but there are zombies in the game that I'm about to talk about called Undead's Building. 
this is a very small, feels like an extremely low budget game that probably came out of, I mean, it must be Japan, I'm guessing. It feels kind of Japanese in a certain way. Uh, I'm just guessing on that, though. Uh, it's out on the Switch. I don't know if it's out on anything else. And it is something I had heard about, like, maybe two weeks before it came out, and I was excited to pick it up. And basically, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where to even begin with this game, but it's, it's like you are playing an elevator operator. And number one, I realize that there are no such thing as elevator operators anymore. That is not a job that exists anymore. Um, but it was historically a job in the past. Um, you play inside like a security room and you're looking at different TV screens and each TV screen shows you a different lobby in your building. So in the beginning building, you're in a five-story building. So you've got five TV screens that each show the lobby of like floor one, two, three, four, five. There are zombies in the building. I don't know why. We don't learn why. I don't think it's even really important why. Uh, zombies are just there. And as you go through the different cameras, sometimes you'll just see like an empty floor with zombies wandering around. No big deal. But then sometimes you'll see like a survivor banging on the elevator door. And you're like, oh, there's somebody on floor three. So then you push a button, send the elevator to floor three, open the elevator doors, let that person get in. And then by the time that you rescue that person, there's more than likely somebody on floor five. And so you go up to floor five and then, oh, there's somebody done at floor two. And so you like work the elevator up and down and you like got to get there in time to open the door for these people to let them into the elevator before the zombies get them. And you can see the zombies kind of like slowly coming in. You've got a little bit of time to get there. And in the first level, let's say, for example, there's like 20 survivors. I think in my first attempt, I rescued like maybe like 17 of them. I think I was too late for three, but that's a pretty good ratio, I think. Unless you are one of those three, and then it's a really bad ratio. <laughs> um, but that's basically what that's that's basically all you do. You like run the elevator up and down. You you jump back and forth between pushing the elevator buttons and pushing the camera button to look at what's going on, and then you just hopefully you get people in. Um, it was such a bizarre, weird, off the wall idea. I just had to play it, and it is. I mean, it's funny and it's interesting for a few minutes, but like, there's not a lot to it, and the budget is really low. Like, I was I was hoping for like funny writing uh you know i don't know b movie sort of a thing but there's almost no dialogue in the game and as you're rescuing survivors you end up picking up the same people over and over and over because they couldn't be bothered to make different character models and so i've picked <laughs> up the same buxom blonde like nine times in the same mission like literally like they look like you know non-tuplets or whatever it is that you call a mom that has nine kids that are all twins um and so, like, that's really all there is to it. I mean, I think I haven't gotten very far into it. I played it last night before I went to bed because I wanted something to talk about on the show. And, I mean, I'll go back to it and I'll try it a couple more times. But it seems more of, like, a gimmicky idea that somebody, like, kind of turned into a game really quickly rather than something that is a full-fledged experience. Seems very bare bones. There's no real bells or whistles or features. And the graphics are super basic and simple. I mean... Kind of a funny idea. I think I bought it for like $2 or something like that, and I don't regret it. I think just for the novelty alone, it's worth the $2. Uh, but I don't see this having legs, and I probably will be done with it by the end of the day. So it's out there. It's a thing that exists. It's kind of funny. Uh, probably more fun to hear me talk about it than actually play it, but it's still <laughs> it's kind of a thing that's there. So Undead's Building, it's on the Switch, if I have somehow randomly sold you on this game. So... Corey, thoughts, feelings? I have actually seen, I haven't played it, but I've seen this on the Switch shop. And every time I see it, it's kind of like whenever I bought Fear Effect Sedna. Like, it's one of those games where every time I see it on sale, I'm like, 
you know, this looks kind of hokey enough to play. And then I'm like, but I probably wouldn't like it. So I don't really want to waste my time. And that kind of thought process hits me like, I feel like pretty much every time I see it on, um, on the Switch shop, it just looked really silly. Kind of like a weird mix between like Lifeline and Resident Evil in a way. Um, but I'm glad, I mean, I guess I'm glad that I haven't bought it, which sounds kind of rude, but I'm glad that you're here to be the um, the guinea pig for the show and kind of come back and report that it is kind of silly and there is perhaps not much value to it. Yeah, it's totally like one of those gimmicks where it's like you play it and you're like, oh, <laughs> this is hilarious. And then like five minutes go by and you're like, oh, okay, this is all it is. Okay, <laughs> and then you just kind of like move on. So, I mean, whatever, I don't regret it and it's goofy and it's funny, but yeah, it's, it's I mean, I think probably if I put one solid hour into it, I think I probably would be done with it after that, so... Anyway, Undead's Building, there you go. That was our, I think, probably the only legitimately new game we talked about in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this has been kind of a dabbling episode uh, for so many games. Uh, but, you know, we tell you up front, like I said earlier, you know, it's uh, old stuff, new stuff, anything in between. And that really lived. We, we walked our talk. We lived our life. We, we, we proved that <laughs> motto to be true this episode. But now we are at the end of another show. Thank you all very much for listening, folks. We will be back next week with another episode. Uh, but before we wrap up, we are giving away more games. That is the thing that is going to continue. That is the thing that is now happening for the foreseeable future. Um, I'm not going to announce exactly the titles that are up for grabs, but uh, you will get uh, at least three separate PC games. But I will say the platform. It's going to be PC this week. So if you are listening to the show and you feel like you need three more PC games in your life, uh, enter, just email us uh, if you want a chance to win. Your odds are really good. And if you win, I will send you three PC games of my choosing. Um, how do you enter? Same way you send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, and anything else. Hit us up, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Tell us that you want to win three free PC games. Or if you want to share your thoughts, one email address does it all. Uh, aside from that, you can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show goes up. We are on Twitter as a show collectively at So Video Games, but you can reach us individually. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram, B R A D G A L L A W A Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where are you on social media? I am also found on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my handle is also my first and last name. It is for both platforms, Corey Motley, C O R E Y. M-O-T-L-E-Y. Um, and also, I just want to say, if you want to enter for the game's um, giveaway, um, you know, don't be afraid to. I think both people last week that emailed us said, hey, uh, long-time listener, first-time commenter. And that's totally fine. Like, I am actually that person, too. Like, I listen to podcasts, and I watch YouTube videos, and I have, like, you know, I, have, I, I would consider myself a dedicated follower to, like, a select handful of people on, like, YouTube and, like, podcasts. And I'm usually not one to comment either, um, you know, or, like, write comments or email the show or anything. Um, but so, yeah, don't feel bad if you're one of those people. Like, we you don't have to, like, email us every week to, like, prove that you're a fan of the show or that you're a listener. Like, we honestly don't care. So even if you're a long-time listener, first-time commenter, even if you're a short-time listener, first-time commenter, uh, by all means, feel free to reach out um, with any any feedback, any comments, or um, if you want to enter the game giveaway, by all means, uh, don't be afraid to do that. Absolutely. Whether you are listening to our voices for the very first time, or if you've been with us from the Game Critics podcast days, or you know if you've been a follower of GameCritics.com for 20 years, doesn't matter. We love you all. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. 
I mean, just enter. Just enter. That's all it is. We just want to do something nice. I got a lot of games to give away. Simple as that. So don't feel like you need to like prove your cred or earn anything. I mean, this is just a fun thing we're doing, and everybody is welcome. So please enter. Uh, but that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you again for joining us for So Video Games. Stick around after the music for the non-video games banter if you are so inclined. If not, no hard feelings. We will catch you next time. And this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Yeah, it's ridiculous, dude. I am freezing. It is fucking April 22nd. It is almost May, and I am... Like, my feet are, like, ice cold right now, and I'm wearing this sweater, and I'm like, the sweater's kind of keeping me warm. Hands are freezing. Tip of my nose is cold. It's like I'm standing outside in fucking December. It's ridiculous. Do you want me to tell you how warm it is in New Orleans right now? Is it above 90? No, absolutely not. No. Oh, how, how warm is it? 78 degrees. I mean, that's super balmy, dude. That sounds pretty comfortable, man. Like, I'd be out in shorts in 78 degrees, man. What are you wearing right now? What are you wearing, Corey? <laughs> well, I've already... Because I got home from work, so I've already, like, transitioned into, like, loungewear for the day, which might be... I might go run some errands later, but right now I'm wearing a white t-shirt, v-neck t-shirt, which I wore under my dress shirt at work today, and I'm wearing, like... I call them sweatpant shorts, but really they're just sweat shorts, if you will. Sweat sweat Um, shorts. (laughs) That sounds cozy and comfortable, and are you at a comfortable body temperature? Like, do you feel comfortable in your environment? (laughs) Uh, yeah, I actually, we have the AC on right now and it was set to either 73 or 72 and I actually turned it up a degree whenever I came in here to, oh my God. Um, to record because I was a little bit cold in my 73 degree house right now. How sad for me, right? Jesus. Yeah. I don't, you know, global warming's not a thing, I guess. I don't know. It's not real. According <laughs> to the Republicans, not a real thing. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I got a pile of dead bees in my front yard, and I'm freezing my ass off in the middle of fucking April. So I, I think that maybe it is a thing. But anyway, I have, you know, we, we have kind of been off track the last couple of weeks, dude, um, with, like, short shows and real, you know, erratic shows, and we're not, haven't been following our usual routine. But today, I think, is going to be a good, good usual routine. I have multiple banter topics. I'm assuming you probably do, too. Um, I... Yeah, I think I have some things. Have you brought that little notebook around with you to like write down banter topics throughout the week yet? I have not, but I have a little bit of TV and a little bit of life stuff, and uh, I think I'm pre- perhaps adequately prepared. All right, what do you want to do first? You go first. Do you want to talk about life? Do you want to talk about TV? Um, let's talk about um, let's talk about life for a second. This really isn't. I say life, but it's not really like I'm not like moving or you know got a new job or anything. Um, I want to talk about, so every once in a while, this is actually a story about Patrick. Uh, Every once in a while, he, and I say every once in a while, and I mean, like, this has happened, like, twice in the past, like, five years, so I pretend like it happens every (laughs) month, but let's just, for the sake of storytelling, let's say every once in a while, he'll do this thing where he'll, like, buy something that's kind of expensive and kind of silly, and it's usually, like, technology-based, and... Uh, the first example of this was a few years ago, he bought, I think it was on Kickstarter, I think he kickstarted it, um, or paid for the Kickstarter, of this, like, 
and forgive me if I'm talking, if I've talked about this on the show before, uh, please just tell me that I have. Um, but he bought this like robot arm thing. What? No, you've never talked about this. I would remember Patrick's robot arm. Did he lose a real arm? <laughs> Did he have an amputation? I realized, <laughs> I realized as soon as I said that, that what I said is not really what I meant, but it it's like, so it's not like an arm. It's not like a prosthetic arm or like a robot arm in that regard. It's like, it's kind of like if you, it's like a robot arm you like set on a table. It has like a base and it has like. Oh, I know. Like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Go, go to Google and look up Armatron. Does it look like that? Armatron. Hold on. Let me Google this real quick. I know. This is super exciting podcasting. We're going to bring visuals into this. Sorry, folks, but we got to get clear. Got to get clear on Patrick's robot arm. Uh, Armatron is a brand of watch. What are you talking about? No, it's a toy from the 80s. Oh, what am I supposed to type in? A R M A. Yeah, yeah, like robot toy or something. Oh my god. Robot toy. Enter. Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you took like an Armatron, but it looks like it was actually made for adults and computers and not for like small children, <laughs> like it's, you're, it's not far off. It's like, it has like a base and it has like arm pieces and it has like different joints that it can move at. I'm sure if I could like find it on Kickstarter or something and send it to you, but it's yeah. like, it's like a legitimate thing. Like it's like an actual robot arm. And like his whole thing was... Because he's, like, kind of into, like, programming every once in a while. And he has a Raspberry Pi, which is one of those, like, little computer things. Yeah, you know what that is? yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and at, at a certain point, um, like, every once in a while he'll get into this thing where, like, he even, like, thought about, like, using his Raspberry Pi at a certain point to, like, program, like, to, like, I don't even, I'm not going to get this right, but, like, build some kind of contraption where he could, like, have it like next to one of the vents in one of the bedrooms and it could like he could like program it so it would like open and close the vent at certain times <laughs> on its own it's just like little things like that but he bought a robot arm like a few years ago and he like had this idea like oh well i can use the raspberry pi and i can use the computer and i can use the robot arm and he could just like i don't i don't even know what he wanted to do with it like make it do things or program it to like um like, I don't know. It's like that woman on the internet that builds the bad robots. Like, it's like her Oh, wait. Face. I don't even know what you're even talking about. What? What is this? Oh, is this she a has porn like a thing? I cannot... No, 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 no. It's not a porn thing at all. She's like a this female engineer from, like, Sweden or something. And she's hilarious. Um, and she recently just had, like, a brain tumor removed. And it was, like, a big thing. I cannot remember her name. And it pisses me off because I follow her on Twitter. And she's so funny. Um... But if you just, like, get on YouTube and search, like, bad robot woman or something, I mean, hopefully that won't return a bunch of porn hits, but... Um, I think that will she, return a bunch but, of porn hits. <laughs> but she's really funny, and she ma she builds, like, really stupid robots, like, where she'll, like, build a robot that's supposed to, like, feed her cereal, and she's, like, sitting at her desk reading a book, and the robot arm, like, hits her in the face with a spoon or something. It's, like, <laughs> it's hilarious. She does, like, really funny stuff. And, like, his robot arm is kind of similar to that in the sense that you can like kind of program it to do whatever you want. But I, I'm getting off on a tangent because the story is not actually about the robot arm. And I I'm like digging I this tangent, to, like, dude. This is a really, the this is a rich tangent. I'm loving this. <laughs> like, I don't know how I could sneak by thinking I could just mention robot arm and then move on to the next topic. Yeah, that was, that was poor that. judgment on your part. You knew we we're going to spend a half an hour on this regardless. <laughs> 
But, I mean, the long story short about the robot arm is that he basically bought it and, like, assembled it and then, like, did nothing with it. Like, he didn't really, like, oh, sure, program it. He didn't really do anything. It's, so it's been, like, sitting in a cabinet. So every time he, like, talks about buying something expensive, it's, like, the one thing that I'll never let go. And I'll be like, oh, like, the robot arm you bought? And, you know, because I, like, know he's never going to do anything with it. So the new thing that he bought that's, like, a, I don't know, like, a big technological marvel or whatever... He bought a 3D printer for the house. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, yeah. And so he'd been, like, researching them for a long time, and he, like, wanted to buy one. And I don't know where he bought it from. I don't There's. I don't know if there's some, like, 3D printing, like, catalog, or I, I really don't know. I know he ordered it online, and, and it came in the mail. So he bought a 3D printer. And to his credit, when he was in doing his master's program, um... He took a class that was about 3D printing at the University of Missouri. So, like, he actually has, like, a small background in, like, 3D printing programming. He didn't, like, totally come to it, like, completely new. Um, you know, he's kind of been there and done that and has, like, a small shelf of, like, little knickknacks that he's 3D printed before during the class. But he, like, decided that he wanted to, like, buy, like, a legitimate 3D printer. So, like, behind me, I'm turning in my chair right now, if you imagine me in... Uh, in So Video Game Studios South uh, East, um, behind me on this cabinet where we used to have a big TV that we never used, there's like a this like 3D printer, and I don't really know how to explain it. It's kind of like it's just like a little table piece where like the printing like happens, sure. And then there's like a U-shaped, like it's like two arms and like a tower on the top, and then like the 3D printing thing can like go back and forth across the bottom of the u because it like has like a pinpoint thing that it uses to like deposit like the resin or whatever and so he like hooked it up and he just got it like a few nights ago and he like hooked it up to the computer and he was like watching youtube videos on like tips and tricks on how to like build it and link it and everything and the 3d printer came with like a test um sort of like like oh here's your new 3d printer like here's a test thing that you can print to make sure it's like working okay and it's, like, this little statue of, like, a dog, and it's really cute. It's kind of like a cartoon-looking dog, and he's kind of, like, sitting down, and he has, like, big eyes, and he's really adorable. And so he, like, gets everything done, and he, like, starts the process of 3D printing this dog. And, like, I didn't—I've never—like, obviously, I know what a 3D printer is, but I've never, like, seen really one in action or anything, so I didn't know, like, really what to expect. And so— it starts printing this thing, and basically, like, you know, it starts from the bottom up, because it kind of has to. Like, it starts with the basest base layer, and it just kind of, like, keeps building on itself until it builds the thing, whatever the thing you program it in that it's supposed to build. And the... I don't know who decided this was a good, like, test object to do, but, like, the base that the little dog stands on is, like, way bigger than it needs to be for, like, the dog figure that's on it. And just the base, we're not even talking about getting to the paws, getting to the legs of the dog, just the base took like eight hours to complete oh, on the 3D printer. And every like every like 30 minutes, we would like open the door and come back in the spare bedroom and be like, okay, where's it at now? And it was like a quarter of the base was done. And then like two hours later, it was like half the base is done. And then two hours later, I'm like, <laughs> finally the top of the base was like about to be done. And it's just like in the bedroom, like doing its own thing. And it kind of smells like burnt plastic a little bit whenever it's doing it. Cause it's sure. like hot resin that it like squirts out and everything. 
And so I'm like in here editing photos and like watching a movie or something like late at night the other night. And it's just kind of like doing its thing behind me. And one thing like a byproduct of it is that it makes a little bit of noise. It's not obnoxious and you can't really hear it if you have like the door shut. But at certain points, whenever it was like making the bass, just like the movements that the little arm thing was making kind of made it sound like that it was playing a song, which I thought was pretty magical. It was like... Like, let me sing you the song of my people, says the 3D printer as it's, like, printing this bass. And I actually took, I haven't posted a video, but I did take a video of it um, because I wanted to, like, capture, like, the beautiful song that it was singing. And so, like, I get ready to go to bed. And, of course, it's, like, 5 o'clock in the morning or something because I was staying up ridiculously late. And, And I, like, give it one last look. And at this point, it's been about maybe, like, 10 or so, 10 and a half hours. It's been just, like, continuously printing this thing. And it's, like, it's looking pretty good, and it's, like, 80% done. Like, most of the dog is there. It's kind of, like, up to the eyeball area. And it, like, looks it looks good. I was actually, like, impressed. I was not impressed with how long it took because I didn't really know, like, how long it was supposed to take. Um, but it looked good, and it looked like it was doing the job. And so I go to bed. <clears throat> I get up the next day, and I wasn't even thinking about it at all. And I, like, go in the living room, and Patrick's, like, reading on the couch or something. And he was, like... Uh, yeah, the 3D printer messed up the figure last night. And I was like, what? And so it got like 90% of the way done. And I guess like somehow it like the figurine like shifted on the, because the base is glass and apparently like not, it didn't print glass, but the figure sits on a pane of glass is what I mean to say. Um, And like apparently like it shifted in a certain way or like it got, jostled like i don't know how it happened it's just some kind of like error on the 3d printer's part and it like messed up the top of it so the dog was missing like the top like quarter of his head and it had all of these like stringy like resin pieces like coming off of the top of his head and i was just like wow like obviously you know there's going to be some trial and error with the 3d printer you don't just press a button it like magically makes like you know a like an arm for you or like a prosthetic leg or something. But like just the fact that it took like probably like 12 hours straight of like making this figure. And then it like fucked up at like the 11th hour. Whenever we were both sleeping, we had the door shut. Like the cats didn't get in here and mess it up. It was like totally on its own, just doing its own thing. And it messed it up. And then he tried to print something smaller the next day. That was only like a 30 minute project. And, like, the same thing happened, and it, like, shifted somehow. Seriously? Yeah. And so, and I guess there's, like, solutions for it. Like, one of the solutions he found, which I think is creative and hilarious and actually very applicable, is that apparently you can can spray um, hairspray on the glass base, and then once it starts printing the thing, like, it will make the thing stick so that it won't shift on the base, because once it shifts, like, you're kind of fucked. And, like, it's not supposed to shift, but, like it's apparently a thing that happens if like it slides on the base even a little bit because the, the computer is not smart enough to like acclimate to the figure right, moving. Right. It Can't just prints where it's movement. supposed to print. Sure. Um, totally. Totally. Yeah. And so like, I guess there's like a hairspray trick where you can like spray the thing with hairspray. And then once it starts printing, it'll like stick to it, which is funny to me because back in my um, 
high school show choir days, uh, whenever the women wore, they called them character shoes, which were like theater shoes that have like a little like two inch heel. That was a trick that the women used in show choir was you spray the bottom of your little heels and like the sole of them with hairspray. So that way when you're dancing on stage, you don't slip and you don't fall. So I was like, oh, this like makes perfect sense. This is like a clever application for hairspray. Um, so yeah, so I'm kind of in this funny like loop again where it's like Patrick bought something expensive and then it like didn't work. And I mean, I, he's not going to like give up or anything, you know, he didn't buy it for nothing, but he's, you know, planning on more stuff that he wants to build. But I feel like just from here going forward, there's going to be some kind of like bad juju with the 3d printer and it's going to like get like 90% done and fail like every time. And it's just like, I don't know, it's kind of frustrating and I feel a little bit sorry for him, but I have no doubt that he will figure it out and figure out the tips and tricks and that we will come away successful in this endeavor. But it was just disappointing that it took like 12 hours to print that stupid dog. And then it like messed up like 90% of the way through. That fucking blows. I, I guess <laughs> I have seen a 3d printer before and I've never like worked with one or anything, but I mean, I know enough about them just to, to be familiar. Uh, no expert by any means or anything, but I guess a couple of questions. So I guess number one, Knowing how long it takes them to make things, uh, I guess, like, what is the wear and tear on those? Like, what is the expected, like, lifespan of something like that? And, like, how easy are they to fix? Or what do you do if it breaks? And number two, you spent, like, eight hours squirting that dog onto the little thing and then it fucked up at the end. And it's like, <laughs> how much does that material cost? Like, the resin? Because obviously you're not going to have a fucking fucked up dog on your shelf i mean you're gonna be like oh that's the that's the birth defect dog that we had in patrick's printer you're not gonna keep that you're gonna throw it away right so like i guess like how much does it cost to get more of that stuff and then also is it like biodegradable or like what i mean is there gonna be just be like this (laughs) landfill full of like floppy headed dogs somewhere like what do you do with all these things okay i I cannot answer a single question you've posed because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything. I know for a fact that the stuff that he buys is called filament and it's in kind of like, it's kind of like in rolls and you just like kind of like take the roller thing off. It's kind of looks like a film reel as a matter of fact. And you like, but it's like a tube instead of like a flat like film. And that's kind of like what he uses to print. And he And he bought like three, I guess like canisters. I don't know what to call them of filament. So he has a certain amount, but I don't, I don't really know anything about it. I don't know, like, the lifespan of the filament. I don't know, you know, what, like, square inchage you're supposed to get out of, like, a, a roll of filament. Um, I have no idea if, like, the whole, like, biodegradable thing, I don't know anything about that. I don't know if the stuff is biodegradable. I don't know if it's – I don't know anything. I don't even know how much the stuff costs. Like, I, I'm sure there's different types of filament, and there's probably, like – you know, high quality stuff and like low quality stuff or whatever. There's probably like a million different kinds. So unfortunately I can't answer any of your questions because I don't know anything about it. Um, I also don't know how long the 3d printer is supposed to last. I don't know um, how troubleshooting goes on it. I don't know anything. I came to this uh, banter section completely unprepared for questions, but I can, I don't know, try to prod Patrick a little bit and see if he, has more info and then bring some updates later on. I would be curious to know because you have raised so many issues and (laughs) 
Just FYI for future, anytime you bring up anything relating to robot arms, make sure you budget the appropriate amount of time because that's not going to be a quick discussion no matter what you say. So a little disappointed, buddy. A little, you thought we were going to gloss right over yeah. that? Come on. Come on. Well, I, I think I was hoping that I had talked about it before and that you would just be like, yeah, yeah, we've heard it before. And then I could be like, all right, now let's talk about the 3D printer. But that was my fault because I, uh, I forgot. But, you know, whenever you do a podcast every week for two years. It is hard to remember all the things you've talked about in the past, so forgive me on that one. That is for fucking sure. That is for fucking sure. But now I'm going to be kind of disappointed. Like, when we finally make it out there to Louisiana to visit you guys, I'm going to be in my head thinking, like, his left arm is going to be made of metal, and it's not going to be, and I'm going to be sad. So, oh. uh, All right, let me, let's move on. Let's move on real quickly here. What do I have for... Oh, okay, okay. I Man, I, we kind of skipped banter for a while, so we didn't really talk about some stuff let me i gotta go i have a whole list of things written down we're not going to cover all these but i'll just pick out the highlights uh i'm just going to go straight into like tv slash film as we do here uh did you we never talked about me going to see the film shazam did did we we did not because i think you saw it before our last show we did not do banter on the it was show. a while ago it was a while ago okay so prefacing prefacing this discussion you know what this movie is right or no yes okay this is, uh, for people who don't know, it is the newest film in the DC Universe, and it is incorporated into the DC Universe. It stars, I don't know what that guy's name is, but he was on Chuck, which was running on ABC for a long time, where he was like a nerd that was also a spy. That was a pretty well-liked show for a while. Uh, it's not Zach Braff, is it? No, no, no. In fact, maybe his no. name's not even Zach. He's, ah, uh, God, I'm terrible. I don't know what his name is. I don't, I mean... I've never really, like, watched a show with that guy in it, but my wife really liked him on that TV show, so I would, like, walk through the room and see him. So I know who he is, but, like, I never, like, really, like, watched him or anything. I'm not, like, a fan or anything, but... Anyway. Oh, he is Zachary Levi, according yeah, to Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you okay. go. Thank you, thank you. Zachary Levi. Um, so he is... Shazam is one of the weirder characters in the DC universe. I'm not a DC, like, expert. I was more of a Marvel guy growing up, uh, which has really paid off in spades for me. Uh, thank you, Marvel Universe. But... <laughs> You know, I, I was aware of him, and, f I mean, from what I can gather, he's kind of, like, on the same level as, like, a Superman. Maybe not quite as strong as Superman, or maybe not quite as invulnerable, but he's, like, apparently, like, one of the heavy hitters in the DC Universe. But he's also, like, goofy as shit, because when he was created way, way, way long time ago, the creators just had, like, a really shit origin story for him. Like, basically, it was, like, he had the powers of, like, all these different Greek gods like combined into one person and it was just really like lame and just not cool and not a very cool origin uh and apparently he starts out as a kid in the movie his name is billy batson and then he i'm messing this up basically he's just like a kid who can turn into like a superman type figure in the dc universe but it's really goofy so in this film i was prepared to not like it at all we, we were going to go see a movie that day because we were just feeling antsy we wanted to get out of the house we wanted to go see a movie, and it just so happened that, like, not really a lot was playing that weekend. We wanted, like, if it had just been me and the wife, we probably went to go see Us, but, like, the sun was with us, so that was too scary. Uh, there was a couple other things that, like, nobody had any interest in. Uh, I think How to Train Your Dragon 3 wasn't out yet. So we were just like, okay, so what's here? We, let's just pick something and just, you know, whatever. We'll be out of the house for a couple hours. So Shazam was playing, and I'm like, well, we all like superhero movies. It's a DC one, so it probably sucks. And Shazam, ne I've never thought of him as being even remotely cool ever in my life. Uh, but I'm like, okay, it, it seems kind of kid-friendly. We'll just go check it out and whatever, whatever. 
And we go to see this movie, and I got to say, it was actually, like, excellent. Like, it was super good movie. I was so shocked. I was ready for it to be schlocky and stupid and just dumb and jokey and just not good. And it was actually really, really, really well done. And I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, I'm not going to say that it was as good as Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman was pretty awesome. But, like, dude, it was almost as good as Wonder Woman. Like, it was close. So that's how much I liked it. You know I like the Wonder Woman. And I know you like the Wonder Woman, too. So kind of get that perspective in your mind uh, about how good this was because I was just kind of blown away. Um, so, I mean... The story was kind of cool. They made him out to be kind of a, uh, um, the kid was like a foster kid. And so they got into some foster kid stuff and then he eventually gets the powers and it was kind of cheesy, but it wasn't too bad. And then eventually he, uh, you know, goes through this period where he's like learning to deal with his powers. And so there's a kind of funny montage where he's like, am I bulletproof? Am I flame proof? Can I fly? Like, you know, kind of eat an infinite amount of food or what can I do? And I mean, it was pretty good, pretty funny, but then they get into some other issues that I thought were pretty well done. Um, I feel like I've been talking for like a million years. Do you have any questions or thoughts, Corey, any impressions? <laughs> no, not yet. You can keep going. Okay. Keep going. Um, so I got to say, I really did like how they handled the foster, the foster parent thing. I'm sure you probably remember, but my wife and I were really like, we were very close to becoming a foster family, um, a couple years ago. I think, in fact, even maybe even as recent as last year, you remember me talking about that, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, we were we were so close to becoming a foster family. If our caseworker hadn't um, been fired, like, literally the week we were about to go through and sign the final papers, I think we would be a foster family right now. But it was just, like, really crazy timing. And, of course, like, my wife got a job offer, like, right after that. So then it kind of took us in a different direction. But we spent a lot of time researching foster families. We took the classes. We went to the workshops, you know, we did all this stuff. Like we were like literally, literally like one step away from being a full on foster family. So they, I thought they handled it really well in the movie and they actually brought up some really good things. I don't want to do like a lot of spoilers cause I think people should go see this movie, but there is a point in this film when the main character, Billy Batson decides that he wants to find his actual birth mother. And then he tracks her down and through, you know, things happen, blah, blah, blah. He eventually finds her, and I gotta say that the way that they handled that scene, I thought was like, it was just really brave, and it was really brave, and it was really unflinching, and it was really surprisingly just straightforward and real. Like, it felt really real to me, and I was not expecting that at all. I mean, that to me was like a real kind of emotional moment. So I was very impressed that they went there with that. And, I mean, the rest of it was cool. The special effects were cool. Um, the bad guy was kind of cool. Um, it just was like a really fun, upbeat, real positive, entertaining. Like it wasn't, you know, ooey gooey, just sappy, sickly sweet. I mean, there was definitely some dark moments to it. Not too dark to take kids, but there was a few dark moments. And just overall, like it was just really well balanced, really well put together superhero movie. I went into this movie thinking it was going to be cheesy bullshit. And I left thinking it was like very close to being probably the best movie in the DC universe, which like. I mean, never in a million years did I expect that. So I, I came away really liking it a lot, Corey. So um, I know you're not super big on, on superheroes, but uh, any thoughts, feelings, impressions? Um, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to go see this, and I declined because Patrick went and saw it with his friend Weston, who we sometimes go and see movies with. Um, but I don't know. It's just one of those movies that, like, I mean, I trust that it's good, and I keep hearing, you know, I keep seeing on Twitter that, oh my god, it's so good, and whatever, 
But there's just like something about it that makes me like not really want to go see it. And I think that's because it's kind of like, and this might be true, it might be not, but in like the trailers and stuff, it seems to be like billing itself is kind of like an action comedy. And it takes a lot for me to get on board with like comedies in general. Um, but the fact that it's kind of like goofy and kind of funny, like usually I don't really go in for that kind of stuff because I feel like my sense of humor is not the same as like the sense of humor that I feel like that movie would put forward. Um, so I just, I don't know. I just like saw that cause I've seen like a trailer or two for it and I just have not really been that interested in seeing it. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I wouldn't pick it as a Corey movie. And honestly, I felt kind of the exact same way that you did, but I think I probably lean more towards this style than you do a film. And that's totally fine. I mean, it is pretty jokey. There are like, you know, some laughs. I mean, it's, it's definitely more friendly towards kids than, than other superhero films have been. So if you're not up for that kind of thing, totally fine. But I mean, and you know, I'm not trying to sway you or anything. I just, I was just like, I was stunned. I was stunned at how good it came out because I mean, I, I mean, just DC sucks in general and Shazam has always seemed like a really lame superhero. And then seeing the trailers really turned me off because it seemed just like really like lowest common denominator, just really shitty jokes and stuff. But man, when it when I actually saw the whole thing, I just really, really impressed. I, I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. Way better. Way better than I ever gave it credit for. Um, so good, good stuff. Um, another movie that I saw yesterday was called Silence, and it's on Netflix. Have you heard of this? It's like a horror film. A horror film. Is this the Netflix original with Stanley Tucci? It certainly is. I have not seen it, but I've seen like a picture for the movie and i've seen a lot of comparisons being drawn to a quiet place which was last year's horror breakout movie oh totally dude this is literally like the quiet place part two like it is (laughs) it is pretty shameless in how close it is to to that film i mean it just is like and it's funny there's been a, a number of like sensory deprivation movies ever since the quiet place made it big you know there was the bird box with Sandra Bullock, where she couldn't see, and this is Silence with Stanley Tucci, where you can't talk again, so you can be quiet. I'm sure there's a couple more coming out, but obviously trends are a thing in Hollywood. But I gotta say, it was okay. Like, if you want, like, a a B-movie horror film, uh, it's pretty okay. I mean, it's basically the exact same thing as A Quiet Place. People are mining in the Appalachian Mountains or something. They break into this, like, cavern that's, like, a thousand feet below ground, and it ends up being, I don't know, some cavern that time forgot. It was filled with these, like, mutant bats that are all blind but they can hear really well and they escape into the 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 wild the surface world and there's like a billion of them there's like tons of bats which makes me wonder what the fuck they're eating down there because how could you support (laughs) that many bats down there unless they're cannibals or something um but basically they attack anything that makes a sound and so as you can imagine people start getting mowed down left right and center and stanley tucci and his family are trying to survive now this is also not only in the sense that you need to be quiet as in The Quiet Place, but in The Quiet Place, one of the main characters was actually deaf. She was a literal deaf girl who was also an actress. And so she played, the, you know, deaf in the movie, and that was a big part of the actual film. In this film, they also have a deaf girl, but she is late deafened. Um, and I'll explain that if you don't know what that means. Late deafened is a person who grew up speaking and hearing like a normal person, but then something happens and they become deaf later in life. So sometimes it's disease, sometimes it's uh, trauma, like you have a car accident, you hit your head, 
or something like that happens, um, unexplained damage to your ear or something, and you become deaf, but you've already lived most of your life as a hearing person. So the person in this film is the actress that plays Sabrina on Netflix. Uh, I don't know what her actual name is, but she is not a deaf person at all. And so I was kind of put off that they had to pick a hearing person who was not actually deaf to play this role. Um, but she was late deafened, so I guess it was not as bad as it could have been. <laughs> but it was a little sketchy for me. I think they needed a little bit more sensitivity training, and maybe they could have found a, a legit deaf actress to do this. That would have made me feel a little bit better. There was a bunch of sign language in the movie, and I have to say, whatever sign coach they picked did an amazing job because not only were the signs correct, he had the level of signing appropriate where the mom did more than the dad, which is like 99% true in real life. Uh, the, the concepts of how they used the sign language were totally appropriate. Uh, I was very impressed by that. I forgot to look in the credits who the sign coach was, but whoever it was, A-plus job. And so, of course, like, she's doing sign language. The family knows sign language. That facilitates most of the movie because they can sign to each other and it's quiet. And then later on, a little creep factor pops in where there's, like, this group of uh, religious nuts who think that these bats are God's judgment. And so they go around trying to create this, like, little flock of people and they try to recruit the family Family doesn't want to be recruited. Conflict ensues, blah, blah, blah. I mean, basically, this whole thing is just a quiet place. So if you want more of a quiet place, this is literally... <laughs> it is literally Quiet Place Part 2. Like, so similar, so similar in tone, so similar in events, so similar in, like, just look of it. I mean, super, super, super close. Um, it did bring up a very interesting point for me, and I'll, which I'll bring up in a second. But questions, thoughts, comments, uh, Corey? Uh, not yet, other than I was totally prepared for you to talk about how the sign language was horseshit and they didn't do it well in the movie, so I'm actually surprised that you're like, oh, they did a really good job. Um, that's pleasant to hear, but I don't have any questions so far. Yeah, it was weird. I was really on guard when I realized they picked somebody hearing to play the role, but whoever, I mean, that's that's a separate decision. The sign coach probably had absolutely nothing to do with that, but the sign coaching was great, so I, I should probably look that up and find out who that was, but I probably know them. Um, but th it brought up an interesting point. So at one point when the religious freaks, uh, show up and they start to be, they act like all friendly at first, right? They're like, Hey, we're, you know, obviously weirdos, but we're here. We want to help. And, you know, you should join our flock and blah, blah, blah. And the family's like, nah, no, thanks. No, thanks. We're not like that. Um, and they start getting less friendly the more that the family rebuffs them. And then at one point they all kind of form a group and they come up to the, the family's house and they're like, you guys are going to join us. Or in fact, fuck it, who cares? We just want your daughter because she can have our babies. So they just like straight up say that, right? And so the wife and I have this, we have a very shared attitude. Like we have no problem killing people if they need killing. So like, don't cross us um, in real life. So <laughs> Dead silence. Okay, uh, moving on. So what happened was, as they're, as they're sitting there in the movie, um, Stanley Tucci has a shotgun, and these people are straight up saying, we're going to kidnap your daughter, and we're going to make her have our babies. And Stanley Tucci, he's got a shotgun, he's pointing right at him, and the wife's like, fucking kill him. I'm like, I know, right? Just fucking kill him. <laughs> because if you don't kill him, they're just going to come back. Which is literally exactly what happened. They came back like that night, and we're like, they made themselves known to be an enemy. They're coming after you. They're coming after your daughter. You're not safe. You've got the drop on them. You could kill, like, half the group in one shot right here because they're clustered up fucking kill him and he didn't kill him of course because you know they had to do dramatic stuff but like we're totally like that like you know like in the walking dead or in any horror movie like whenever like some weirdo like survivor shows up and it seems like they're crazy or they're like 
They're going to be a danger to the group. And they do something weird. And like in the movies, they're always like, oh, fellow human, we got to let him go. And we're like, no, we're not going to let him go because you let him go. They're just going to come back and get you later. I mean, like, so I wanted to pose that question to you. Like if, if that was a situation where you knew somebody didn't like you, somebody was out for your ass, they were going to come back. You couldn't trust them. Like, would you let him go or would you like take care of it? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's impossible to say what I would do in the face of trauma because it's so easy to say, oh, of course I would do this. And then in this situation, I would not actually do that. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't want to say definitively because I think saying stuff like that gets, I'm not saying this about you, but I'm saying in general, that attitude can sometimes get people in trouble because like there's a lot of people who think, very aggressively and very loudly oh well if i were in your shoes i would do this but the truth is they probably would not do that or they wouldn't even know what to do with themselves if they were in that situation um you know just based on the contextual surroundings and whatever sort of like nervous trauma is ensuing in the moment um so i don't know what i would do i would like to think that I would kill someone if like that sort of situation were at hand, but I don't know what I would do. That's a fair answer. That's a very fair answer. So, and, and of course, each their own, I'm not judging anybody. And thankfully we're not in that situation right now. Uh, and I would never really want to be in real life, but yeah, I mean, we often look at each other, like, especially like we watched a lot of years of the walking dead, um, like many seasons of it. And that happened like at least like three times a season where like some weirdo would show up, they would threaten like the group. And the group would let him go because they were like a fellow human. And that person inevitably came back like every single time and like let zombies into the encampment or like stabbed somebody <laughs> in the back or stole their food. Like it happened like literally every time. And we're like, dude, this person is trouble. Like, just get rid of them because they're not going to leave you alone. Like, you know, and this is it's your survival or theirs. So anyway, question that comes up for us pretty often. My wife and I are almost always on the same page about this. So I, it was interesting that they brought that up and Stanley Tucci did not pull the trigger, despite the fact that these guys were threatening to kidnap his fucking daughter, which I thought was over the top. But anyway, Silence is basically A Quiet Place Part 2. Check it out if you want more of that. <laughs> uh, I have a couple more things, but Corey, let me turn it back over to you. What else you got on your plate, man? You said you had some TV and movies. I do. I have TV specifically to talk about. So... Um, Patrick and I finally got caught up on Star Trek Discovery, which we have been slowly watching. Um, we have CBS All Access, um, so we've been watching it on the All Access app. We don't have, like, cable or anything. And we had, for the longest time, we had been, like, four episodes behind, and it comes on every week. And there's only, like, 14 episodes for season two, so it's not even that long. And each episode is, like, 45 minutes or so. And we just, like, would never sit down and watch it together. So over the weekend, we kind of crunched, like, four or five episodes in the past week or so, I would say, and have watched it. And last weekend was the season two season finale, or last Thursday, I should say. So we have finished all of season two, and we are... I mean, I guess it got renewed for season three, so it'll be back probably in, like, a year or so, which is a weird thing, like... I don't know, to think about stopping watching a show and then having to wait like a year or so for it to come back on. Um, but we are done with season two. I like, I want to talk about it, but I also don't know how much I can say because there's like a lot of stuff that happens and I don't want to like spoil anything. So I can't, I'm kind of like at a crossroads of like, I have finished this, but I'm not exactly sure what 
I should and should not say about it. You should probably play it conservatively because I think that people care. It's still a pretty brand new show. It's still kind of like fresh in people's minds. I've actually talked about this show a lot um, with other people. I haven't seen it yet. I would plan. I would like to watch it. Um, just haven't had the time, but it's on my agenda. But a lot of people that I know who have seen it have said really good things and they were like, oh yeah, you should definitely check it out. And it's, it's getting good. And so maybe, maybe be pretty conservative with the spoilers, but you're, you're, you're high on it though. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it has its moments of good and bad. And I, I guess, so as like a general sort of like thing to say about the show is like, and I guess I have like some, some general input and I'll try not to be spoilery. And there's actually like a lot of stuff that happens in season one too, that like directly affects season two. So I don't even really want to spoil like season one. Um, but like it kind of like in general, I like the show and I think it's good and it has like good moments and there are good episodes and there are some episodes where they end and I'm like, wow, like that was really wonderful but I feel like the overall sort of, like, season story arcs that the show is going for, like, leave me a little bit, like, disappointed is maybe um, a good word for it. And, like, the thing about season two, and I'll try to be as light-handed as possible when I talk about this, is, like, there's just, like, a lot of stuff that happens in season two. And the there'll be, like, it kind of does that thing where, like, you know, for example, I'm not, I don't know the specifics on this, so I'm just going to say, like, okay, in season, or in episode three, um, you know, like, a certain thing will happen, and it'll be, like, a pretty, you know, like, intense scenario for, like, that episode, and then, like, it, it, it won't, that thing won't come up again for, like, seven episodes, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot that that thing happened, and, I mean... Maybe that's partly because I'm watching it, like, every week, or I took, like, several weeks of breaks between the show because I'm not, like, like I said, Patrick and I weren't keeping up with it week by week. But it's kind of like it, like, gets its, like, punches in by, like, having kind of, like, juggernaut episodes. And then, like, the thing that happened in the episode, like, will just kind of, like, go away for a little while. And it also does a thing where... And I stand by this opinion of basically like any medium, you know, whether it be like a book or a movie or a TV show or whatever, a video game. Um, it kind of does it in two counts on season two where like the season kind of opens with a couple of big mysteries and there's like, you know, they spend half the season like chasing down this one thing. And then meanwhile, there's this other like bigger thing at play going on. And it's the kind of mystery where you know that, something's going to get revealed like way down the line. Like you're going to find out where this person is, or you're going to find out like what that space entity they're seeing or whatever, like what it's going to be, or maybe it's going to be a person, maybe it's going to be an alien. And like the whole like season is kind of like riding up to that big reveal. And I really, really dislike whenever, and a lot of movies do this where like the, a movie will open with like a mystery and then it'll spend the entire movie getting to that mystery. And it no matter what happens, I'm like always disappointed whenever the mystery is revealed. Like I rarely, <laughs> I just like, I rarely find it satisfying whenever like the entire driving force of a narrative is like one single like mysterious thing that's happening. 
Because in my head, as things are unfolding, I go over like, okay, well, it could be this, it could be that. Like, I basically go through like an A to Z of scenarios of whatever this mystery thing could possibly be. And like, I'm not disappointed because I do or don't get it right. Like, it's not really the point. I'm not trying to like guess what thing is going to happen. But it's just like you go through the amount of things in your head. And so you're already like pre like planning for whatever mystery could be revealed like oh is this space entity well it could be a klingon or it could be the main characters you know stepmom or you know it's just like there's just like so many things or it could be a person you know i i don't even know like there it could be a, a cameo from a different star trek season like there's just so many different things that go through my head where i'm like already thinking about what the thing could be and season two is like pretty guilty of doing that where it's like kind of like builds up these big mysterious things and then it like they kind of come together and they don't always come together in really satisfying ways which is like slightly disappointing and like the other thing that's unrelated to those sort of like mysterious things that i that like bothers me a little bit about star trek discovery is like in a normal star trek um like season or series or what have you you know you have like all of the major players on the bridge for the most part except for whoever is the doctor on the ship because they're like in the medical quarters and the game i almost said the game and the show <laughs> like generally like characterizes everyone on the bridge like you have the captain you have the first officer you have um you know the i don't even know what all their titles are but it's just like you know, like, Counselor Troy and, like, Worf. And, you know, you have, like, everybody who has, like, a major battle station on the bridge. Um, they're, like, the lead characters in the show. And the interesting thing about Star Trek Discovery is that that's not really the case. And I don't, like, mind that so much because, like, a lot of the characters... Like, the show still has good characters, but they're not... It's not, like, the people on the bridge that are the main characters. Like, obviously, the captain is a main character and, like, Number one is a main character, but that's like kind of where it ends as far as like the people on the bridge go. Like there's a lot of people on the bridge in Star Trek Discovery and you see them in almost every single episode, but most of them have like, not most of them, maybe like three or four of them have like a line per episode, two lines maybe per episode. And it's just weird to be living in this universe where like the people on the bridge are not the people that are being characterized in the show. And I keep, like, waiting for that to happen. Like, oh, well, maybe, like, the engineering guy will get an episode this time. Or maybe the the woman at the helm who's piloting the ship will get her episode. And, like, the, there's, like, tiny bits and pieces here and there. But, like, there's a couple dudes who have been on the bridge the entire time. Like, one's, like, a security guy and one is, like, the communications guy. And they just, like, have not been characterized at all over two seasons of the show. And it's just bizarre to me that, like they don't have their episodes. I keep like waiting for, and I don't know if this will ever happen. If Star Trek discovery will ever hit a pace where it like starts to characterize everybody on the bridge because it's doing that thing where it's unlike some Star Treks where the show, this, the episodes are not, they are episodic. They're not like capsule episodes. It's very rare that there's a capsule episode in Star Trek Discovery, I mean, there might actually not be any because everything is one giant arc that, you know, kind of drives the entire series, um, which is generally, I think, something that people want in a series because that was kind of like why people didn't like Star Trek Voyager is because it generally, most of the episodes were more like capsule episodes and they like kind of barely threaded together. Um, but I just like, I want it, I want the series to kind of hit a place where it can like start 
being a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more funny and a little bit more goofy and be able to like hit a lull where it can kind of like really characterize all the people that are on the bridge of the ship. Because right now it's just like, oh, like, you know, X plot that the universe is going to explode or whatever. And we have to go like solve it over the course of the season. And I kind of just wish that it would be like a little less like, you know, we have to save the universe like in every episode because I like I get tired of that in like superhero movies. That's one reason why I'm not a huge fan of superhero movies because every fucking superhero movie is, oh, here's the beginning of the movie. Oh, this thing is threatening the entire galaxy. Oh, we beat the thing. The movie's over. And like I get enough of that in other places. And I kind of wish that like like my favorite sort of like sci-fi storylines are the ones that are really grounded and that don't really have anything to do with like saving the universe or like you know flying spaceships like yeah it's great that they're flying spaceships but i need like a little bit more humanity in the episodes totally, like totally and i feel like discovery has yet to like hit that stride for me and it's just like a little bit disappointing in that regard i mean i agree with you about that about tv shows and um, movies and all that stuff too and also about games like that's really like my big thing about games right now i mean we're not really talking about games because this is the banter section but I, I, I have, like, basically zero interest in saving the world with anybody anymore. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Every fucking Japanese RPG is about a group of high school students saving the world. Every American RPG is about one, you know, the chosen one saving the world. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I would love to play a game where, in fact, we might have even talked about this, where, like, you're in an office and, like, your goal is to, like, get a promotion. And, like, that's all. Like, nobody's going to die. But, you know, there could be, like, inter-office politics or maybe, like, you're going to go fishing or something. And while you're fishing, you're developing a relationship with your son or, you know, there's like a billion stories that are smaller and that are character pieces and that you could still have gameplay mechanics, but you know, it's not about like a giant meteor crashing into the earth. It's not about (laughs) death coming to wipe everybody out. It's not about the devil or anything. It's just like, you know, there's a million stories that are like really cool adventures that could happen. I mean, I'm right with you. Like I love shows where you get to know the the people, um, where you get to learn about their character and like, you know, like, um, You have an ensemble show, perhaps, but, like, everybody gets an episode once in a while. I mean, I love that, and it kind of makes me wonder. I haven't seen Discovery yet, but, I mean, I guess, like, hearing you describe it, it's like, what do they do? Is it just, like, the the two main characters and everybody else just gets, like, a line here and there? Like, the two characters have to carry the show? Or, like, how do they do a show without ever focusing on the other people? (laughs) Well, they still, like, the weird thing is that they still have plenty of characters who like have a lot of stakes because the show the in general the show is about uh a character called michael burnham who was played by sonequa martin green who i believe got started on the walking dead and then she kind of crossed over to the lead um and so like that she's the central character of the show but the interesting thing is that she's not like the captain of the ship she's not number one like she she doesn't start she kind of starts as like an ensign or something in season one Um, And she's on the bridge at a certain point. Like, she kind of has to, like, earn her way back to the bridge. Um, But it it is interesting because she's not, like, super in command of stuff on the ship, which is weird because, you know, Star Trek is generally about, like, the captain and, like, him or her leading the ship. Um, But it's, like, you know, the show is generally about the captain, uh, Captain, or uh, Commander Saru, who plays sort of, like, the number one on the bridge, who is played by Doug Jones, um a famous character actor who's basically the main character of like every, um, monster. Movie. Uh, yeah. Every monster movie. Um, now I'm trying to think what's the director's name that you talked about last week. Del Toro. He was Water. in the shape yeah, of water. Del Toro. He was in Hellboy. Yeah. He was in, I mean uh, like every Pain's fucking Labyrinth. tall skinny. Yeah. Every tall skinny monster. He is that guy. 
Yeah. So like he like he's a big character. There's another like ensign on the deck named uh, Captain Tilly, um, Sylvia Tilly, and she's like hilarious. She's kind of like the comic relief of the show. Um, and there's like a guy who works in engineering, and he's like the openly gay character on the show, and he's like. Um, he's like one of the leads and then you have like in season two there's a lot that has to do with section 31 which people who know Star Trek will know that section 31 is kind of like the undercover like covert ops like sort of above the law fleet in Star Trek and so there's like a lot of section there's like two like the captain and number one from a section 31 ship that are like pretty prominent in um, in season two specifically so there's just like uh, there's like enough characters to hold it down but it's just interesting to me because like usually those characters are all the major players on the bridge but in discovery like it's not all those people and i keep like waiting for everybody on the bridge to like get their episode and so far like two of them maybe have gotten their episode and that's it because the show is so focused on like stopping whatever is causing this war or whatever is threatening the universe like it's more focused on that than it is like humanizing the characters that i wish it were humanizing gotcha gotcha interesting interesting i mean would you recommend it at all i mean i mean it, it sounds like you kind of like it but also maybe it's not quite popping for you i mean would you still recommend it i i recommend it i think it's good um i like i mean if i didn't like it i wouldn't be watching it that's kind of like a bigger point here um i just like i have reservations with the way that the with the the way the show's going kind of how things are progressing um I feel pretty confident in saying that season one is better than season two. So for people, if you're listening to this, y'all, and you've never seen Star Trek Discovery at all and you're thinking about getting into it, um, season one, I think, is very good. Like, I think it's a good place to start. It really kind of kicks the show off in a new direction and it really goes places. And, like, season one has, like, like an arc like it goes play it goes places that season two like cannot bring you back from and i really appreciate that but season two i mean it's like you know if i had to like rate them i mean season one is maybe like an eight out of ten and season two is like a seven so it's not like super bad i just think that if you're having reservations about it season one is definitely like like i would highly recommend it um just know that in my opinion season two is like a little bit not as good Interesting. Like I said, we do plan to watch it. We just haven't got around to it. But something I wasn't going to bring this up. But now that we're talking about Star Trek, I was actually thinking of something kind of funny and weird and interesting the other day <laughs> is, um, you know, I, I might have mentioned a while ago that my oldest son was uh, with us for the summer a while ago and he had expressed an interest in watching Star Trek. So we started with like the very first episode ever and started watching like the original, you know, the Captain Kirk series, the first series. Um, we got a good way into it, and he actually surprisingly enjoyed it. I was ready for him to say, oh, my God, this is too old. I can't watch this. But he actually <laughs> did kind of get into it, which was kind of nice. So we watched some of that, and then he went back home to his mom, and we haven't really, like, finished off with that. But, um, you know, uh, time went by, and then my youngest son, who lives with me, uh, is kind of getting into that same zone. And, you know, I've talked about the Orville several times on the show, and I still really like the Orville a lot. There's been a lot of cool episodes this season, season two. It's been very strong. But th something that I think is kind of interesting is that my youngest son has never seen an episode of any Star Trek ever. So he has only seen the Orville, which I think is a good show. And I'm glad that we watched it. And I'm glad I think it's actually a good entry point to Star Trek because it basically is Star Trek, just a little bit funnier. Um, but I'm like, you know, I was kind of planning on busting out like Next Generation for him when he was ready. And now I'm like, well, now that we've seen the Orville, the Orville's closest parallel is Next Generation. So... 
we've seen like two episodes of the Orville, and if I bust out next gen now, he's gonna be like, wait a minute, these guys are ripping off the Orville. What's going on? Like it's, <laughs> it's I, I it's weird to think that he's watching a one-off Star Trek show and not seeing Star Trek, and that will be his point of reference for every Star Trek thing that he ever sees for the rest of his life. So I don't know if some Star Trek fans out there think I have committed some kind of big crime or something by doing this, but <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to think that he is always going to think of like Lieutenant Bordas as instead of Lieutenant Worf, like they're kind of analogs where he's going to think of, um, you know, the robot guy on, uh, on Orville instead of thinking of Lieutenant Data where there, there's these parallels um, different, of course, different, but still like kind of in the same wheelhouse. So Something, something to think about. I was, I was gonna maybe like get uh, next gen going once we had watched all the episodes of uh, Oroville. We're almost to the end of it, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. I have no other further comment or anything, and you know, feel free to you know pass on a comment if you want. But just something to think about. Like it's just weird to me that he's got the off-brand Star Trek before he got the Star Trek, and now the Star Trek is gonna seem like the off-brand Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of like, or maybe I should say, like for better or worse, it's kind of one of those. Um... You know, just like as generations go, because basically in entertainment, all you have is like people remaking the same things or remaking versions of things over and yep, over and over again yep. without realizing it. And when you were talking about that, I was thinking about like that happens a lot in music, too, because you'll have like songs either that are remade or songs that sample like produced totally, music totally. from other songs. And so you have like. You know, you know, like younger kids who hear a song and they're like, wow, this is really good. And you're like, yeah, so was it when it was originally written 30 years ago? And they're like, what? And so, like, you know, people don't even realize that, like, the songs are being remade or that, like, the music that was produced for them was actually produced for a song, like, 30 years ago that was maybe in a better song, maybe in a worse song. Who knows? But right. it's like, I don't know. I insert, like, originality is dead or something in here. No, 100%, dude, 100%. I remember... When um, Vanilla Ice was popular in like the 90s or whatever, everybody was like loving that song for that hot second. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, actually, that was like um, from Under Pressure. Like it's it's literally the same piece of music. And they're like people <laughs> had like no idea that song even existed or like, you know, like like you just said, I mean, it, there's there's a sample or like people will hear like a guitar riff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. That was totally just like what Eddie Van Halen did like 20 years ago or something. And, you know, who knows what he got it from, too, right? Like, I've only been alive for so long, so the references can only go so far back. But, yeah, totally. I mean, there there's literally nothing new under the sun, no matter what you think you've got. And uh, this is a perfect example of that. So I guess we'll see how it plays out. But on the plus side, I think the Orville's great, so I'm happy that it's he's watching that. It's not terrible, so... A lot of good stuff on that show. Um, I just have like one more thing. Do you have anything else on your agenda? You, or, uh, how are you doing on your your, your um, list? I think I'm I think I'm cleared for banter. All right. I just have one more quick thing, just really quick mention since we're talking about TV. Um, you know, I was loving Steven Universe. I talked about it a couple times uh, on the show previously. My son and I just finished all of it. I wasn't sure if it had a beginning, middle, and an end, or if it was like an ongoing thing or whatever. It seemed like there was multiple storylines going, but I didn't know what was ahead. I wasn't spoiling myself. I didn't really want to ask anybody. But I we finished it all, and I can't say if it's six or seven seasons, because like if you look at Netflix or whatever, it has six seasons. But if you go to Hulu, they broke it into seven, and I don't know why they did that. Kind of weird. But regardless, whether it's six or seven seasons, it does have a beginning, middle, and an end, and we watched all of the entire thing. And I got to say, like, it just, it blew me away. Like, it was so good. It was so rich and meaningful. And we got to the end and they covered so many topics. And they just talked about 
So, I mean, it was just, like, such a human show. Like, despite the fact that um, Steven is, like, half human and half alien gem creature and the other people on the show are gem creatures and he's living in this weird town and weird things happen. Like, it was just, like, over and over, just... It just really drove home, like, humanity. Like, we are all who we are and that's okay. We should love who we are. We should accept other people for who they are. You can't really be happy unless you're really expressing your, your most inner genuine self. Um, you know, I mean, just, I mean, those kind of issues over and over and over, not only in how they relate to just being as a human, but also specifically in relation to like, you know, LGBT stuff and issues and, and just being queer. I mean, it was pretty obvious that stuff comes up a lot. And I was really, just really grateful for how they handled it. I thought it was all really touching and sophisticated and yet accessible and never like super overwhelming and they they touched on a lot of things that I thought were really surprising to be in a cartoon and the ending got really good like really really good and they they wrapped it all up and I felt like it ended strong and overall man I mean it sounds kind of ridiculous to say but I feel like I'm kind of like a better person for like watching the whole series because (laughs) it just was so good like it was so much good work being done there not only from a an entertainment perspective, but just like they had like things to say, like in all capital letters, you know, like this series had a point. It had a message. It was reaching out to kids these days and it was reaching out to people. And I mean, it was doing good work. I mean, everything about it. I love, I love the characters. I love the story. I love the message. Really, really glad I watched it. I know I was giving it a lot of love before. I'm just going to give it more love now. And if you're listening to the show and you haven't watched Steven universe and you think you might be up for a cartoon, about like queer issues and about being friends and about finding yourself this is pretty awesome pretty amazing i have like literally nothing bad to say about it uh we even listened to the soundtrack there's a number of musical episodes and the songs are actually really good as well so great soundtrack great writing great characters it's just great all around one of the best things i've ever seen i loved every minute of it and now you don't know what to do with your life now that it's over oh dude it was a mistake to start with Gravity Falls and Steven Universe because we started at the top and I didn't realize that. But like we watched two of the best things ever and we've tried to get on board with a couple new series since then. And it has been shit show after shit show after shit show. <laughs> uh, big thank you to everybody on Twitter. I asked for some recommendations and I got like a bunch of recommendations. I got like 20 or 30 different shows that we're going to watch, but we've been through maybe three or four of them so far. And ooh, 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 wow, yuck, dude. A lot of these are just like, they have the shrill, random, irritating aspect of modern cartoons, but without the heart or the message or the depth to them. And I'm willing to give shows a chance, but if I get through like three episodes, I'm giving everything three episodes. If I get to the end of three episodes and I fucking can't stand your show, like I'm bailing, like I'm not going to put more time into it. So... (laughs) It's really tough. We haven't found anything to replace Steven Universe and Gravity Falls. But, folks, if you're listening, if you got a good recommendation, please email me here at the show. Let me know what you think I should watch. I've got another, like, 25 different shows that we're going to audition to see what we're going to sign up for. So there's, you know, we're not out of shows. I mean, there's infinite shows, but nothing. I mean, it's going to take a really amazing show to fill that gap. I don't know if anything can fill that gap, but hopefully we'll find something that's at least good to watch soon. Nothing yet, but we're getting there. All right. Well, we've been bantering for like 100 million years. Literally since the dinosaurs were alive. Literally. The last stegosaurus just keeled over. It's time to end banter. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. You ready to talk about some games? I think so. All right. Let's talk about some games.